Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ignash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And Steven is going to kick us off with some kind of a story thing? Joke? What? I just did something last night that people, most people haven't done in a long time. Oh, did <laughs> you go out to... Crap, what haven't people done in a long time because of COVID? Um, you went out to a baseball game. Does that sound like me? No, it doesn't. I went to a movie. Ah, that congratulations. Like yeah. yeah. What movie? Uh, Quiet Place Part 2. Okay. I was trying to get Phoenix to go see that with me yesterday. <laughs> it was it was fun. It had the same kind of thing from the first one where like... The reviews were saying it was better than the first one, which was baffling because I was like, that never happens. I, yeah, I think I think it was good. Like to me, it's just one of those things. Like the first one, my main gripe with was like, why didn't they have anything smart planned? Like, you know, the, the fireworks was one thing uh, to distract from the, I didn't mean to make this a long thing, but the, the only main, they do have a lot of like smart, clever shitness that I like. The one thing that they didn't do the entire time is like, nobody throws things for a distraction. Mm. And it's like, you guys realize throwing a coffee mug also makes noise, right? Yeah. Your only noise doesn't have to be you shouting or, <laughs> or you know, jumping on something to make noise where you are. You can make noise at a distance. Yeah. Um, other than no one ever doing that, it was really good. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah, fun plot, fun everything. I was going to mention, though, about going to the movies. Hmm. I guess I maybe this wasn't the best movie to start with because, you know, there's a lot of quiet moments and <laughs> In the quiet hence the place. name. And you can hear the synchronized chewing of popcorn all around you. You can hear uh, um, the people talking the whole time, you know, that aren't supposed to, like the audience, not the, yeah. not the movie. And I, I used to love going to movies and I'll try it with another movie at some point, but maybe I'm not a movie theater person anymore. I mean, you also have this weird thing where you hate all noises that people make with their mouths, except for talking, I guess. That's not weird. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, fine then. I'm the weird one. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> like Whereas I just don't care. Yeah, but that's, that's like a weird minority thing. It's like claustrophobia, right? I know a lot of people. I, I have misophobia. And uh, I, I don't know. I know a bunch of rationalists specifically that have it. I just think it's just more like I, it, it pulls me out of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. I, the experience is lost because I'm like, I can't get immersed when I can hear you chewing and I can see the light of your cell phone over on my left, right? Oh, fucking people so, are checking their cell phones? Yeah. I hate when people oh, talk man. about... Like, I'm okay with people talking about the movie. I, I hate when somebody's having an unrelated conversation during a movie, though. Mm. Or or even worse. That's yeah, just fucked up. Definitely. Yeah. But, like, a stupidly related... Like, 15 minutes in, someone leaned over on the... Like, you know, there was only four people on my left side... It was a fairly empty theater, and it's like, yeah, this whole thing is like a sequel to the first one, and it's like, no shit. <laughs> it's it's part new. Wait, how far in were you when they first figured this out? At least 15 minutes. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I even, get even, it. If, even if you weren't here for the first one, which is fine, it's called part two. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. We So was it like packed in there? No, not oh, even no. close. Okay. Uh, we went at 545, so I think the later shows definitely were. Okay. But even then, they had buffers between groups of one seat, which is close to six feet. Jason and me went to Milk, which is the local goth club. Well, it's a cl- club in general that has goth nights. Uh, we went there Saturday. And on their non-goth nights, weekend. and it's still full of lots of goths. Excellent. <laughs> I think it is just a goth club that has plausible deniability of having <laughs> other genres of music. <laughs> they And, man, the pent-up demand for going out was fucking huge. There was a massive line out the door. It was... I've this, never seen that many people there. I, I have before, but I, when I see that many people, it's like well after midnight. Whereas this oh, was yeah, just like was, packed from the beginning. There was a line starting at like at nine. Eight, I showed up at eight thirty, and I think I was like thirty fortieth in line. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, yeah. The line was going 
out like the door down the street (laughs) there's never any cover before 10 o'clock this time there was cover for everybody right at the start the drinks were jacked up to like 50 percent higher than they normally are and still people were just like yes yeah we're here we're dancing again it was it was really cool but uh yeah it was a cool vibe like it usually has a cool vibe there i just i like Denver in general where people are just friendly and chill (laughs) and like dogs but Mm -hmm. And this was just like a, I don't know. You could feel how happy everybody was, and was nice. there was a lot more goodwill for your fellow mankind. <laughs> so humans can go out again. Nature is healing. I don't know if nature is healing. Humans are part of nature. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Alrighty. So this week uh, we are talking about a. Tell us about these new teens. <laughs> the teens 2.0. They're the same teens that have always been teens. Um. The so it's a two a pair of books written by Robert Epstein and he's not the only one in this movement. These are just you know this is where I came into it. Uh, the more scholarly one is the case against adolescence and perhaps I should have read that one because it would have probably quoted a lot more and had graphs and charts and all these other things. But instead, I read Teens 2.0, which is very um, layperson friendly and has less in the line in the terms of like quotes and statistics and has a lot of anecdotal uh stories instead and then like it just has a big stack of appendices at the end of the book they're both written by the same person yeah this is actually like i I wonder how common that is it would be fascinating if more people intentionally wrote two versions of a book the one that the scholarly one and the like like you said layperson friendly one yeah uh i'm just remembering how much better literally uh getting things done for teens i have a copy of this book because it's so good that david allen's like gtd getting things done productivity system Mm. but like when he when he was forced to write it for teens and like use it used pictures and diagrams and metaphors to explain stuff and i actually like was like oh this is an excellent explanation of (laughs) getting things done um yeah so that's cool do we (laughs) <laughs> at the risk of saying hello fellow teenagers do- <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a what was a good day fellow teens <laughs> okay good day <laughs> hello fellow kids uh do- steve buscemi and 30 rock yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you guys remember being teenagers at all vaguely okay yeah i do I, it wasn't good. No, no, it was not. Um, <laughs> I, I would not recommend. <laughs> it's it's weird because like the further I get from it, the more I remember just like the good parts. I'm like, oh yeah, man, I'd like to go back to that. But then reading this reminded me of all the shit bad parts, and also reminded me that there was a decent chunk of my life where I was literally suicidal. And one particular night, if I would have had access to like a gun or something, probably would have made it through the night. So I. I, like, well, yeah, I, was, I don't know. Um, I, I'm over <laughs> that now because I'm no longer a teenager. I gained some meaning and independence and in my life. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've... I'm glad you didn't have access. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to just push past that without saying anything. Okay, yeah. 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 Glad it worked Sorry. out the way it did. Yes, me too. The world's a much better place with you in it. Oh. Agreed. Well, thank you. All right, that's, that's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Um, but for a long time, like... I just thought this is how teenage years are. This is how everyone is. And and how they've always been. And how it's always been, yeah. And then I started reading this stuff and got eventually channeled over to this book. And I was like, oh, things don't have to be this way. Like, we're literally traumatizing almost everybody. And it it lasts for decades. Like, 
I mean, I still have nightmares about being in high school sometimes, but... I have, like, school nightmares, like, at least once a week. Oh my god, yeah. I'm, at this point, I think I'm mostly over it, but, like, this is a process that took literal decades, and it kind of sucks if we're subjecting almost everyone to this sort of crap, and anyways, I'm here to talk about all this, and how badly we're fucking up everybody, and what we could do to not do that. And I can insert some levity since that was kind of heavy to get us started. So the, the author is Robert Epstein. And when I glanced at that, I was like, oh, Jeff Epstein. Of course he wants us to treat, to treat minors as more adults so that he can, you know, not be in trouble for fucking them. You're, you're and, a bad person, Stephen. <laughs> uh, I'll own it. But, uh, Injecting so some levity, huh? I, pro- I, I, I promised I'd follow it up with another joke. The founder of my company's name was Jeff Epstein. Oh. And yeah. so his name's still on a bunch of stuff of, like, you know, old test accounts, uh, some of the, like, bill uh, invoices. Mm-hmm. And so still, most weeks, I'll see Jeff Epstein somewhere in the company. And so I just... I love that I'm sure when we're marketing this, people it's like, oh yeah, not that Jeff Epstein. Oh I'm, my I'm God. sure our marketing people have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Different Jeff. Just to preface the conversation, I think I probably agree with the points made in this. I read some of the notes. That said, I will do my, I think I can do a, uh, I've been I've been taking the virtue of the ideological Turing test more to heart in the last several months. I think it's super valuable. The idea that you should be able to, to properly engage with somebody that you disagree with one technique for really getting where they're coming from is if you can pose like basically in your head or especially a dialogue with somebody pretend to be somebody from that group well enough that they can't tell that you're pretending mm-hmm. um i will do that for the the large part of the status quo i think okay all right trying to, to keep us honest ask the questions all that sure yeah okay yeah i appreciate that because i was worried that this was going to be one of those episodes where just all three of us are like, we agree with this book. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the podcast. <laughs> Except now and we're going to just agree for two hours. Yeah. We're going to just sit here and jerk each other off for three hours about how kids aren't taken seriously enough or something. Uh, basically. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not going to let that happen. Okay. So uh, let's start with a quick hypothetical as is the way that I got into this. Like, if someone... Yeah, I love quick hypotheticals. Yeah. If someone right now told you that for the next five years of your life, you couldn't do anything that had any meaning at all, it it might be kind of, um, I mean, demoralizing the least... least um, Demoralizing would be the, the least of the terms I would use to describe it. Like, along the lines of, you can't really do anything that matters to anybody you care about. You can't make... The world better or worse you can't contribute to your society or your friends or your family you can't own your own property uh if you need food how food or clothing or shelter that'll be provided for you but also anything you own can be taken away you can't uh pay your own bills or make your own money and if you try to that'll usually be taken away from you you you're you're just stuck waiting for five years to pass before anything can happen in your life at all and it, you gotta go to school and, well, I mean, fuck that. <laughs> you might have to go to school too, but I'm not even, you know, including school in the equation right now. It 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 would feel to me a lot like fucking Groundhog Day because no matter what he did in any single day, it didn't matter. It all got you reset the next day, and it led him to suicide eventually. And that didn't take either because nothing he can do matters, not even killing himself. And obviously, it's not to that extreme because we don't have magic powers in the real world. But for the most part. Nothing you could do would matter. You couldn't even have legal consequences for most of what you do, uh, unless you do something really bad, in which case uh, you get treated like a normal person again. But no one even takes anything you say seriously. 
uh, in part, be- that's good so that you won't have reputational effects later in your life for bad things you do now. But on the other hand, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> on the other hand, nothing you can do is is nothing you can say or contribute is taken seriously either. And I don't know. I personally would get really depressed. I have one funny quick thought on that, and then one serious challenge to that. Hmm. The funny quick thought you mentioned Groundhog Day. I saw one of those last week or this week, a uh, movie that was called uh, Boss Level, okay. starring. The guy who played kind of Captain America's antagonist from S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay. Uh, big, brawny guy, short black oh, hair. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Rumlow is his name, but I literally have to look it up. Um, his uh, name in the show. I forget his name in real life. Anyway, uh, it was a fun Groundhog Day movie. Strong recommend. I think it was on Hulu. Okay. Boss level. I love Groundhog Day movies. Yeah. And second of all, I don't think that he's remotely accurately describing what it's like to be a, uh, an adolescent. Almost all of that sounded like dog shit. Like, like he's painting like this, this ridiculously absurd corner where you have to agree that this is bad. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, the first part was nothing you do matters and you can't make your own decisions and you can't impact lives or something. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely do that at 15. Not legally. No, of course you can. You can join, uh, you know, the science Olympiad, math club, chess club, make friends. Um, yeah, you, you, can, you can win, you can win national competitions at 15. You can make friends, but unless you're actually the person who's winning national competitions, what can you really do? Well, that's true of adult life. You know, you, you can't, you adult know. Adult life, you can. It, so one of the examples given is a uh, kid who grew up in Mexico that around the age of six started helping out um, selling things on street corners. And he eventually like, made it really big in life, became owner of some major company. But anyways, uh, just selling stuff on street corners. and That kid's name? Mark Cuban. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he would like get money to help pay the bills like to to pay the electric bill for his family and help buy food and felt like he was really contributing something and kids that uh can work with their parents or work on farms actually do something meaningful that improves the lives of their family when they're doing it whereas if you're you know going to competitions i mean if you make it to the very top you have something to put on your resume later i guess but it's not like anyone else's life is positively impacted by what you're doing I I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't want to say that you can't have a positive impact before you're allowed to have a an, a gainfully employed job. Because a gainfully employed jobs, you know, the vast majority of them don't impact li- anyone's life positively. You know, unless you're a particularly chipper checkout person at Safeway, like you're not picking on you're not making anyone's life like that much better, right? You so, you you have some ownership in your life, and you actually can make people's like your family's life better just by contributing to paying the expenses. So in 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 those limited capacities, sure. But mm-hmm. as as a kid, you know, this sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but it's only because it's relevant. You mentioned you had a, a rough night in you know your youth where uh, you were um, very seriously suicidal. Uh, there was a kid I was in junior high told me he was going to kill himself, mm-hmm. and it was the the long story involved me like almost getting in trouble for talking in class, mm-hmm. and the principal was in the cl- I'll tell the medium link version anyway. The principal was in the class just like observing or something. And the teacher told me like, hey, you know, stop talking back there. And I was like, actually, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if it's so important, talk to the principal about it because the principal was there. Mm-hmm. And like, go sit in the back. And then I sit in the back with him. I was like, so do you want to hear what it was about? Mm-hmm. And he was like, sure. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, well, we should, we should leave the room. And I told him. And he's like, well, which kid was it? And I was like, he told me not to say. And he's like, well, look, this is really important. Like if, if, oh, if he goes home and dies, this is, this is on me because I could have stopped it. Um, well, he, he said, quote, this is on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the implication was, this is also on you, but I don't think he wanted to say that to a child mm-hmm. or an adolescent, a young adult. Did you tell um, him who it was? Yeah. Oh. And 
the kid and I got along great for the rest of our primary school education. And I don't know if he was going to kill himself that night or not. Yeah. But there's a non-zero chance that he was. Yeah. Regardless that, of whether he was or wasn't, clearly something wasn't going right for him. Yeah. And, and he I, needed help. I don't know if it's all his problems or not, but he went off and he went and talked to the counselor and the ne- you know, he came back, gave me a hug sometime, you know, mm-hmm. later that day or the next day. And, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that this helped him, you know, helped his life. I, I wasn't gainfully employed. No one paid me to do it. Yeah. I mean... No, you did a great thing. And I did that without being able to... Uh, have a job yeah, right? yeah. i could very easily imagine that scenario not having that happy ending though where if like the adults hadn't taken you seriously if they just been shut like shut up stop talking in class like i've definitely had that happen uh not that exact scenario but i've had abusive teachers uh or just incompetent ones um yeah it totally could have gone that way too um you know some some teachers i had in some institutions i, were, I was at sucked but uh this was a positive moment in my there's probably, you know, like, school sucked in the most part. You mentioned how, like, you look back on it with, like, rose-colored glasses. And, Not you know, me. I think other than the other than the bullies and the boredom, I had a decent child. I had a good childhood. Um, you know, like, I there was a lot of running around outside, goofing around, a lot of doing stupid shit that, you know, you can't get away with as an adult. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm bringing that up as a counterpoint. You know, so, yes, the six-year-old is able to contribute to his family's... Uh, food income, mm-hmm. which I think is a horrible responsibility to put on a six-year-old. Like, no, no, you need to hit this quota or your family is going to starve. Um, you know, <laughs> yes, it's on you. That's certainly not how it was put. Yeah, I think it's not the kid is being forced to do this. Like, it, it seems the like the actual to. crux here is the autonomy question. Yes. Of, it's not sort of whether, you know, a childhood where you work so, it does this make sense? Sorry, I'm just trying. I'm trying to. It, it does make. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop trying to make my own tortured, terrible metaphors and just go into the actual argument in the book because it's done better than what I've been doing so far. Sorry, I didn't mean to to hit on that too hard. No, 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 it's fine. And no, that's your job. Yes. It is. <laughs> so his argument is that uh, the main need teenagers have is to become productive, productive and independent, and that this is something that starts happening for most people somewhere around 12, 13 where they start wanting to uh, gain their own lives and um, just just gain some autonomy. When you said starts at usually, we said, what, 12, 13? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would argue, or not argue, um, clarify, puberty? Around, yes, yes. Like, it's uh, the actual, like, physical and mental changes. Yes, I guess, cause someone yeah. to become an adolescent are caused by the process of puberty yeah i shouldn't i shouldn't put an exact age on it because actually one of his um major things in this uh in one of his major arguments is that the physical number of years you've been on this planet is an absolutely horrible metric for almost any of the things that we just put an age on and should be instead based on the maturity of the child which is in large part due to puberty so yes i should say more like when you have uh when you're in the mid to late stages of puberty so I mean, this kind of brings us back to our last episode about gauging mental aptitude slash maturity. Yeah. Is this going to be like Game of Thrones where it's like, has she bled yet? And like, so then, then that's like the question of whether or not she can get her learner's permit at the DMV. The clerk gets to ask, you know, like... can I mean, we can get into this <laughs> later if okay, you want, because sure. it, it does come up later. But I mean, the main question yeah, as to whether up. you can get your permit at the DMV is, are you able to operate a vehicle? And that's that's the only thing that should matter for a license, and that's the only thing that would be considered, as opposed to how many days has it been since you popped out of your mom's womb. When you say op- I know, now we're getting bogged down, but when you say operate a vehicle, it's different between operating and operating it well. Yes. Okay. Operate it well enough that society says you're allowed to do this. 
Okay. There's right. definitely some adults that should not have a driver's license. And yes. there are a lot of that kids not be an age thing. You know, who yeah. sat on their parents' lap, you know, in an empty parking lot when they couldn't reach the pedals and got to turn the wheel and stuff, you know, like yeah. I could operate part of the car, but you'd be insane to let me tie wood blocks to my shoes and drive like short round from uh, Temple of Doom, right? <laughs> well, I think being physically not tall enough to reach the pedals means you probably aren't ready to drive a car yet. But yes. I would say that I know plenty of 13 year olds who I would trust to drive a car. A lot of this is a combination of uh, both experience and literal physical um, maturity. Aptitude. Yeah. Like if your body is there and your brain is a part of your body. Okay. So, yes, uh, he he goes into the fact that th- this is like the main thing that teens are supposed to be doing and is kind of how it has happened all throughout history. And let, let me just jump into the history thing real quick. Uh, that... Up until the up until the Industrial Revolution, there wasn't really a term for adolescence. There was like young adulthood, and people would realize that people who had just gotten to adulthood were still, you know, inexperienced, would make some dumb mistakes, but there wasn't this protracted period between childhood and adulthood called adolescence that is just full of drama and uh and terribleness and uh is its own phase where someone is kind of stuck in this limbo period and he says that of the 168 societies um pre-industrial societies that were uh, recently um recently is relative this book was published in 2006 uh but that were studied uh over 100 100 of them didn't even have a word for adolescence yet and most of them didn't have a a recognized period of all this drama and and um confusion and rebellion that teens go through and instead the teens just kind of transition into adulthood and the closer they are to western societies and more industrialized they become the more and more they start getting the same sort of pathologies that we have right now so uh he believes that this is a a very modern thing modern very modern meaning in the past few centuries um and goes into the history of how exactly we came to have an adolescent period, which is pretty interesting in its own. But before we get to that, and if we get to that, the, uh, he's mainly saying that in the pre-industrial society, people would, as they joined adulthood, just start transitioning into their own adulthood, where they started learning skills, and I mean, they had been working alongside their parents or some other adult members for the entirety of their lives, and didn't have that much of a problem transitioning to being their own autonomous individuals. Whereas now we specifically have uh, customs and lots and lots of laws. He journals the, the increase in laws starting in the, I believe 1880s and then having a huge jump in the 1960s that drastically restrict uh, what children can do and strip them of their rights. And, Otherwise Since, called protect them. Yes. The, f- the first example he gives is is a really good one. Okay. Where, I, and I don't mean to put too big of a, uh, well, yeah, I got to raise a flag here. Okay. Mary Ellen Wilson was a nine-year-old girl who was beaten daily by her foster parents. Mm-hmm. In 1874, mission worker Etta Wheeler took it upon herself to rescue Mary Ellen, but the authorities were uncooperative. No laws existed that prohibited such abuse. As a last resort, Wheeler approached the NYSPCA for help. Uh, Berg took the case, arguing that New York Supreme Court justice, or arguing to a New York Supreme Court justice, that Mary Ellen deserved protection as a human animal. Because they did have protection for animals at the time, and the NYSPCA was one of those animal protection committees. Yeah, and first of all, it sounds like uh, um, 
what was her name? Weller or Wheeler? Uh, Etta Wheeler sounds like a, oh, and then Jane Addams later. Um, she sounds like a fucking hero. Helped <laughs> found the ACLU, helped found the AACP. Um, she sounds awesome. She uh, does. So, But the, like, when I say laws, you know, not just holding them back, like what, hold, in this case, the law was holding her back from the, you know, the, the freedom of getting her ass, her ass whooped every day and no one to, to complain to, right? Yeah. So, and, in, in many cases, this actually did help. You were, initially, yeah. They, were, they didn't have any child protective laws at all. Children were treated more like chattel, that they were their parents' property. And, um, yes, but... Also, it has come way too far in the opposite direction. He actually, this uh, Adams lady that you're saying of who was vital in all sorts of reforms, he, you know, he does praise her for starting up these organizations and making a, a huge impact in the world. But also, she was one of the people who was very much along the lines of um, children are completely helpless and should be protected from themselves and started pushing for all these laws, which eventually got passed, including creating brand new crimes, which didn't exist and didn't hurt anyone and were defined as crimes against the self, which included things like going to movies or dance halls, staying out past a certain hour and behaving, quote unquote, incorrigibly. So uh, she was very much of the Puritan, we must protect people from their own sinful nature kind of thing. There's definitely a way to turn it up to stupid. Yes. But, but, they're, but having... Having no threshold sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. The the argument is that our threshold now has gone way past stupid and is continuing to get even worse. I would say it's better than it sounded back then. Now we can go dancing. We can go to the movies, etc. Mm-hmm. You um, know, well, teenagers, though, like, uh, you're I not allowed into milk if you're. I was going to say, yeah, there were, there were some 18 year olds or probably younger, but like these dudes behind me were like, hey, do, can do they let 18 year olds in here? Like. No, have you been not. here before? And I was like, no, they're, they carried you at the door. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, why? Like, I guess because they serve alcohol. And it's like, yeah, we, we weren't going to drink. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, and you they don't just... <laughs> count as a human yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Yeah, we can we can keep rolling. I, I wanted to, I mean, unless we want to drill on that particular example. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's the fact that m- the establishment, the establishment, the establishment milk bar thinks that 18 year olds aren't or 17 year olds aren't people or well, whatever it's also illegal for them to it's uh below 21 actually that's 21 that's, is the drinking age. that's my point yeah, yeah. so it's, it's not like the it's, it's not like every institution seems to bind to this it's like no sorry we'll lose our liquor license and our business will get shut down so right no yeah no can do i mean the laws are the problem in yeah i mean like if i wanted to do anything as a kid i'd have to ride my bike uh i used to ride my bike 45 minutes to go to the library mm-hmm. like there's a restriction there just on like I, I could have gone to movies and gone out dancing but i didn't have transportation and they didn't have like good public transit in jersey yeah public, so i was just kind of in the middle of nowhere yeah public transit in fort collins where i grew up sucked but it was at least existent um you know i had a friend who was in second grade to take the city bus to the uh at least to the bus stop or all maybe all the way to school um i don't know how old are second graders like 11 like you know so he at the at the at the risk of just saying yes, we should infantilize every child forever. I'm definitely uh, in the camp of Jonathan Haidt, where you know we're coddling kids way too much. Mm-hmm. But I I, I am I'll, I will do my best to play the role of the person who who does think that some coddling makes perfect sense and should be should be upheld. Okay. So, but, but don't but don't put words in my mouth. Discordi- Discordians. <laughs> <laughs> the primary initial argument is that children, soon after they hit puberty, are ready to start taking on adult roles and uh, want to do that. And 
nowadays society does not let them and represses them and starts has taken away all their rights and just puts them more and more through this coercion and through the saying you are still a child you can't do anything uh and we must protect you from yourself and this leads to all sorts of pathologies starting with uh children not children sorry uh young people uh in their teens often have absolutely awful relationships with their parents since the parents are the jail keepers that have been appointed by the state as the people who have to you know keep their teens under control or they will get fined or go to jail um and it it starts causing pathologies for people as well to have these these basic needs uh thwarted for years and years on end like that and he says that you can generally track the emergence of full-blown pathological western-style adolescence in countries that are undergoing westernization and then give some examples of these pathologies and I mean, I think we can probably think of our own teenage hoods uh, as examples of this, but he um, he goes ahead and lists a bunch of statistics. Uh, he says, crime rate rises in teens until peaking at age 18 and then dropping steeply. Uh, the peak crime for almost every single crime out there is around uh, 18 years of age. He says, uh, rates of most substance abuse peak at about age 20. Rates of automobile accidents and fatalities are highest in the late teens. Rates of sexually transmitted diseases are peak in the early 20s. Two-thirds of all STDs are contracted by people who are under 25. Uh, spending on behavior-altering drugs for minors has now edged out spending for all other drugs, including antibiotics, medications for asthma and allergies and skin conditions for minors. More than half of high school juniors and seniors drink regularly. As of 2008, about, oh, I guess this was published in 2008 then, about 20% of American high school students smoked cigarettes. Suicide rates for 15 to 24-year-olds have tripled in the last half centuries, even as rates for adults and elderly have declined. And for every youth suicide completion, there's nearly 400 attempts. 40 percent in 2007, 40% of American teens were treated for major depression. Uh, the peak age for sadness among American adults between the ages of 18 and, you know, the end of life uh, the peak age for sadness is 18. Between 18 and 22% of young people have purposefully injured themselves. Peak age for sadness? Like you ask people in their 40s, when were you the most sad? And the average was 18? The Well, I mean, they start asking at 18 and then just, yeah, keep going after that. And peak age of sadness is 18. Because that is, you know, the time when you're closest to being a teenager in their age cutoff. I mean, that is one explanation. That is one explanation. That, right. that, that is something I'm going to hammer on a bit when we get more direct towards it. I'm not convinced that this is the cause of a lot of these problems. Okay. At least at least not yet. Maybe uh, I'll, I may be convinced. But. Well, I'll go ahead and wrap it up. That, that yeah. was, you know, the vast list of pathologies. And all we need to do, I'm assuming, is think back to our own childhoods or look at what society has as their stereotypical view of the teen to realize that this is a time with a lot of pathology. Uh, and w your argument is that it comes from something else. I'm saying that it it's not convincingly argued that it comes from treating them like kids. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying I have the other cause. I can think of some, but like, I mean, well, one jumps out at me. The rates of automobile accidents and fatalities are highest in late teens. That to me sounds like we shouldn't be letting people in late teens drive. You know, if they're running around killing people. If you wait to let it go even longer, I think you're just going to push the age out even more further. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, there, there's something to be said about, and I think there, there's a section here in your notes about the teen brain. Cause, impulsive you know, behavior. Well, and just your brain's not done de developing. You don't have a frontal lobe yet. I mean, you technically no, have, you, you have one. That's but. actually a misconception um, to some extent. Like, the teen brain is different, but they've they had characterized it before as 
teens behave this way because they're undeveloped, but it's actually a specific, like, there are specific brain changes that make you a teen that, like, evolved for, sorry, Wes, uh, <laughs> specific purposes of um, making you, encouraging you to, like, leave your tribe of origin and go find a mate with, like, better genetic diversity and... The or risk taking just... and impulsivity uh, is like because you're gearing up to basically go go to war with nature or other humans. Like, I mean, one could argue that you might want to keep a tight leash on those folks. Then, I mean, just I mean, I'm not making well, that trying case, to leash them is makes it what worse. they're arguing uh, causes these pathologies. And I think you you do actually see um, they're talking about pre-industrial societies that the teen that they, they don't have this like teen problem that we have in the West. Yeah, the <laughs> thing that I find a bit more convincing as to why these these are the causes of the problems rather than something else is partly because uh, there, there is the whole before industrial society, we didn't really have this and other pre-industrial societies don't particularly have it. But uh, also when this is taken away, people tend to do a lot better. And he specifically calls out Boys Town as one example. There's a few other societies like this in the early 1900s where instead of sending um, young offenders to jails, they would send them to these societies, and the the boys town in particular was interesting because he said uh, all these young people were just put in a town without any locks on the doors or fences around it or whatever. But they were like, "You live here now, uh, go for it." And their courts, where were other teens, the judges were teens, the advocates were teens, the advocates or lawyers, whatever you want to call them, yeah, like uh, the their jurors were teens. Yeah, they they the trash people that collect the trash every day were teens. And he said as soon as they started like being treated like adults with real responsibilities and real things that mattered happening to them, the vast majority of them started acting like normal people without all these – I'm sorry about the term normal people. Maybe that's a stigmatizing. <laughs> but uh, w they immediately became much more socially integrated and law-abiding and importantly happy with life. And it was – a, a great rehabilitation program, which unfortunately has been captured. There is still a boys town now, but it's basically like any other juvenile detention system where they are still treated as kids that have to be watched and protected. And there's a, a huge amount of counselors that make all the decisions that matter. Uh, it, it was a very interesting case study. And it, it, it he has multiple examples given where once you give people responsibility and the ability to affect uh, things around them, they very quickly start acting like decent people again. And I mean, personally, the thing that helped me um, get over my mental situation was I dropped out of college because college was still a world where things were provided to me and what I did didn't matter. Uh, I, I Once I was out on my own, making my own money, paying my own rent, it suddenly felt like I had ownership of my life and my decisions made a difference and I really quickly rebounded after that and you know when you have to clean your own place or you're living in filth you have to take out your own trash or the trash just builds up suddenly there's actual consequences for the things you do with your life and that feels good yeah I mean there's something it doesn't, uh, you're no, please. Talking, go ahead. I was going to say there's something you know um Rewarding might not be the right word, but validating, you know, when the pantry isn't magically filled every week and you like you buy your own food, you know, if you're out of, if you're out of toilet paper, that's your problem. You need to go get some. Mm -hmm. It gives you a sense of authority over your life. Mm -hmm. I can I can dig that. Um, and not just the fact that, you know, it feels good, but the fact that this is what 
humans are supposed to be doing at this point and taking that away from them causes all these problems. Yeah, I think you see this in any population where autonomy is withheld, taken away, minimized. Uh, I mean, what happens... I was just thinking about, like, the prisons in the Netherlands, which, just the irregular adult prisons, uh, I think it's the Netherlands, that might be Sweden, but um, they basically have a prison system where, yeah, it's uh, open doors, no locks, like, no barbed wire. People sort of work at jobs and they're, they can come and go as they please and make their own decisions. And people reform in these conditions where they they get worse the more you restrict them. Yeah. And, and like I'm thinking like old folks' homes, like that you've seen this like psychologically over and over. And there's some people that you can't have like that. You just have to get rid of them. Like <laughs> like El Chapo maybe. But in American prisons, when we do the same thing that we basically do to teens, I mean, they're famous for the intense levels of drug use. That's the only thing you have to do as you have waiting for the time to run out before you can get back to life. Tons of drug use, violence, suicide, self-harm. They're horrible torture factories, and this is a big cause of that. Yeah, I mean, prisons are their own box of worms that I'm not going to defend, uh, or can of worms. Um, <laughs> that, that that's, that's a whole mess. I mean, you mentioned old folks' homes. I mean, there, there's, there are definitely uh, people in these... in, in you know, say like a secure psych facility or uh, some some nursing homes where you want the doors to lock from the outside. You yeah. Because because if if your if your grandmother wanders out and drowns in the lake adjacent to the property, um, because she doesn't know what decade it is, uh, I I think it makes sense that the that the institutions at fault. So I don't want to lump in. Yeah, I don't think uh, we're disagreeing though. Like the this book is not saying immediately emancipate all teens. No. It's saying competency. Like I I think that. You should do competency checks for teens to see if they can do something and for like elderly people. Like the driver's license is a good example. Definitely there's a lot of people on the road that should not have a license. <laughs> and I think there's plenty of teens who could drive a car safely. Yeah, I was I was struck with your example of boys down and tried to skim the Wik- Wikipedia page, but it's too big. Um, I don't so I don't have much to comment on that. Half of uh, Robert Epstein's Wikipedia page is about him suing Google because they put a warning on his site that his site was full of malware. Oh. <laughs> when, in fact, it was. Okay. And so he's like, you guys are lying, trying to, you know, make me look crazy. And it's like, actually, no, it looks like, well, I was hacked. This isn't fair. Mm. Um, he sounds kind of like a crank, but uh, that's also me just trying to observe this through the lens of this guy's not right. So I didn't read the whole thing on that either. Mm. But... Um, it sucks about the malware on a site. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's funny. Like, I didn't do it. It's like, well, actually, no, look. Well, I was I was tricked. I was hacked. It's like yeah, then that's what everyone says. Um, anyway, uh, where was I with um, the? Uh, he also cites a study that shows a large positive correlation between infantilization scores and psychopathology scores. That the more teens are treated like children, the more signs of psychopathology they show. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I was, uh, I mean, without being able to read the study, I don't know what. Like a lot of this sounds like. Um, you know, Zimbardo arguing that the uh, the environment makes the person, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an example of a crank who's just spent his whole career trying to make a point that is probably wrong. Um, and you, one 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 red flag for a crank, this isn't like, you know, it's never proof, but if they've dedicated a ton of time trying to prove the same thing for decades, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's not accepted, mm-hmm. granted, that's all, that, that is how a lot of cool new correct things come out. But it's also a sign of a crank. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so. I mean, there's, there's a. I'm not saying that it's. This isn't not even close to proof positive, but it is evidence that this guy is just 
got an axe to grind like Zimbardo, right? Does it help um, that he's not the only one? That there's yeah. a bunch of other people also on this boat? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this was... I was going to dismiss him as a crank on this one thing, but it is a sign of crankdom. Uh, let's see. Um, there was a, a grander point I was going to make about something earlier. I mean, you know, one of the things about uh, pathologies around 18 and stuff, I mean, so... No, between... In the, in the teens. Right. Before you have the ability to legally control your life. Well, I mean, that's what that's why I want to see what the specifics of these were. And for the record, I didn't know the name of this book until two days ago, so I didn't get okay. a chance to, to go in and, like, do any real research. But, you know, like, the the idea that LSD can, you know, if you have a propensity, if you have a propensity towards schizophrenia, LSD can trigger it. Mm-hmm. Um, that might just be bullshit because, like... People experiment with drugs in their early 20s, usually mid-20s. Yeah, which and is that's when schizophrenia when manifests. Schizophrenia. Mm. Yeah, so like, it if people are getting pathologies that are showing up in their late teens and early 20s, like, that's also just when these things often arise. Schizophrenia well, being one example. The specific pathologies start to drop off after 18, since that's when people start getting rights. And you, you, also you say since then, but you haven't convinced me that since then. You don't see the pathologies in other cultures. Um at least not at like you know at these rates. I was curious. That was well, the more the, Western they get, the worse they get. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. When you say industrialized, can you explain what that means? Uh, in like electricity, yeah, yeah, jobs. Yeah. Basically, the closer they get to American culture and adopting public our, schools. Yeah, yeah. Public schools are a really big one. Sure. And I mean, because like stripping, stripping cars, young people of yeah. rights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like in 1874 or whatever, there weren't a lot of car crashes. So like that, that's kind of seems like. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously poking fun, but it's a bullshit statistic to say, look, you know, 100 years, 150 years ago, kids weren't having these these auto accident problems. It's like, well, of course they weren't. Mm-hmm. There weren't cars to crash into each other. Yeah. Um, so he has a really interesting example given for the Inuit culture. Uh, and I mean, we're kind of using industrial and Western interchangeably here and as a shorthand for what's been happening over the past couple centuries. But he says uh, that this is happening to Inuit cultures uh, as well. And it's uh, quoting him, especially unsettling because it cannot be blamed on either urbanization or industrialization because Victoria Island has experienced neither one. Television, forced schooling, and social security were enough to decimate the traditional culture and to create the new development stage we call adolescence. So it was it was the fact that um, they they have the forced schooling and the taking away of of traditional rights that people had that started making them have this adolescent period of drama and terribleness. So even though we're seeing industrialization, it doesn't necessarily take actual industry. It's just the culture that has um, evolved since industrialization became a thing. And what he said, it was social security and television? Television for schooling and social security were the major changes that had be- uh, came to Victoria Island. Yeah, I want to say something about uh, social security, but Stephen, did you? I was just going to r- point a skeptical flag at uh, TV and social security being proximate causes of badness um those were just the three major changes he listed right so i mean if if i had to guess the problem would probably be forced schooling um i i mean unless we're arguing that no no social security gives people a safety net and safety nets make people weak and sad so we should take rid of those right gotcha Um, no i think um what they're saying is like television for example is projecting this like image of youth culture Mm -hmm. they talk about um marketing sort of you know um spreading this this misconception about teens and it basically reinforces everything we think about teens yeah uh and the social security was a think about um 
uh, about the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, actually, this might not be the same point, but I thought it was interesting that the book talked about the way that like there were incentives to drive teens from the workforce. Yes. I'm not actually sure if that has to do with the social security or not, but uh, we can, we can jump into that. That makes sense. I, I do have, um, and I just want to put this as like a thing to, cause you used the phrase a minute ago about, and this was, this was because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, to me, the, the causation hasn't been established yet. Okay. Like to take the example of um, say depression among 18 year olds. Uh, I, I think, Part of this might be, I mean, just if I'm not saying this is the cause, but I can think of other causes that sound just as plausible, mm-hmm. you know? So like, all right, now you're an adult. Now you have all this responsibility. You're 18. Mm-hmm. Now you get to pick your career for the, what you want to do the rest of your life. You get to go into tremendous debt to go to school so you can cho- so you can do that career. Mm-hmm. You get to never afford a house because they cost seven times what your parents paid for them. You'll never make as much money as your parents did. You'll never have enough for retirement. Like you, some, you come to realize those things at 18 and of course you're super depressed. And so like... I, I don't know if, uh, I mean, and that would also explain why these rates are going up. And the, another corollary fact is that we have more child protection laws, mm-hmm. but it could just be the fact that young people today are fucked, right? And they realize that when they're, eight, when they're, when they're coming into the world and they look around and like, oh, wait, I'm fucked. I think young people now are less fucked than they were in the 1880s, though. And yet things are getting worse yeah. mentally and emotionally. The thing that is We're, we're also just better really... at, at establishing mental and emotional fuckery than we were 120 years ago, 140 years ago. Yeah, I don't think there was the youth suicide epidemic back then. No, you can, again, look at um, pre-industrial cultures, uh, especially look at hunter-gatherers. I mean, that's sort of a different topic, but... I, uh, I, I didn't mean to, to derail too hard, but I mean, I, I guess I want to just like... Every time you're inclined to say because of this, I, I just want what is, what is his evidence that he's got that this is the cause other than the correlation? Okay, all right. Um, it was a good call out though, yes. Uh, because yeah, these are these are all a bunch of correlations, but they I, I have read all of your notes and I believe that they do point at something. Well, shall we get into the correlations? Because he kind of goes into a lot of them um, one by one. And I realize that we can't do a, a large scale blind study on this, right? Um, so I'm not asking for here's experimental proof. You can uh, you can do studies about criminality, or you can run statistics on, you know, how many kids join a gang, uh, OD on drugs, like commit suicide. Uh, yeah, totally. You just can't you can't do controlled experiments on those things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, you can. You I'm can... saying that there are ways of gathering evidence and facts. Oh yeah. Around. I'll... 100 percent. i was saying that i wasn't drawing the line at the absurd standard that we need a controlled trial for me to believe this yeah you can get really good uh you know bet your house on it uh information just from careful observation of of the way things are in different places yeah Uh, i mean you want to i'm sorry uh, i was just going to say too because you mentioned the suicidality of people 140 years ago i mean part of it might have been means of access you know part of it might have been again you had something to do, right? Right. Like, so... I mean, having something to do is actually a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's that's what we're going... Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean that, uh, you know, an 18-year-old today might have plenty to do, but they, they don't feel like they can ever make an impact. And right. that's, that, that's something... That's, Which is that's, not the case back then. That is, right. But that's, that has nothing to do about when they were given the opportunity to start working. That has everything to do with the way the world is and the amount of impact you're allowed to have. Like you talked about yeah. in the opening analogy of, of not being able to make an impact on, on the world. It's like, well, most of us can't, you know, even on your own local world, you know, unless you live on a farm, you don't and br- like that but, is brought up a fair bit, that, but this has nothing to do with age. This has to do with the modern world. Well, I mean, yes and no, the modern world specifically prevents young people. What's the voting age. The voting age is 18. 
you don't get to vote about whether or not you know you get to make better like like uh low low skill jobs better or more impactful that's not something you can vote on no but you can vote on whether kids are allowed to work instead of going to school i guess i just i'm not convinced yet that the if someone is allowed to bag groceries at 15 that they would be happier than if they got to bag groceries at 18 no like of course the, not bagging groceries is one of the worst jobs there is right that's but, why but we that's, allow that's, teens to do them because th- we prevent them from taking any jobs that are meaningful or important or could develop skills that they could use later in life but if that i mean that someone's going to be back in groceries no matter what right until we get robots doing it so sure, like but why are we okay so i'm not trying to get derailed i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm pointing at that like the, the the fact that you can't make a large impact that, that i don't know how much that has to do with age that has to just do with the age the time that it is now right so i know i know what you're saying and i one of the things i kind of didn't like about this book is that it is peppered all throughout with i don't know if it gets to a hundred examples maybe it's a hundred definitely dozens every few pages there's another couple paragraphs just giving examples of young people doing things that are important i pulled out one of them because it's bill gates and we all know and love bill gates but uh he started doing meaningful work with computers at the age of 11 and that was one of the nice things about growing up in the uh, late 80s, mid 90s, was that computers were a new thing, which were a lot of young people just jumped into it. And there was no one telling you, no, you can't work on computers in your own garage, your own home. Uh, and that was a place where a lot of people could rest back control of their lives. And he was one of the people that did that, uh, famously so. And so there are some domains where you can make an impact, but the t- typical uh, domains that adults usually pursue, uh, like helping their community by being their electrician or their plumber or whatever else it is, is just denied to chill- to sorry to young people, uh, so that they they can't do them. And the the example I was going to go to was when I was a sophomore, I think, in high school. One of the smartest fucking kids in my class. Um, gosh, I don't remember her name now. We weren't like close friends, kind of like peripheral friends, but. She was just driven, smart, uh, very conscientious, and she got a job working at Burger King, and she was the best fucking Burger King employee they had. She was amazing, but it was an absolute waste of potential. There is so much more she could have done if she was allowed to become an intern at some place uh, that works with technology, or even in the business world, like... Any any place would have been lucky to have this person as an entry-level employee, and she wasn't allowed to, and it was a fucking tragedy. I watched um, the kids at the library I used to work at. Uh, we had a like programming for kids uh, activity, and I watched these two kids, like, like this one kid sitting there like, so can you... Can you tell me how I do uh, like so my my marketing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, oh, you don't have any followers yet. Here, well, I'm gonna be your, your first follower. So what you want to do is um, post on a regular schedule, and like, here's how you like. Basically, she's giving this kid like SEO advice. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, you guys don't clearly don't need my help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how old would you guess she was? I think she was nine at the time. Oh, nice. These were like two nine year olds. The other kid was a. Uh, the one who read the same books as me. Mm. He read the the fifth season at K. Jemison because nice. he, he read all of the children's books and was bored by them. Yeah. And so it just started like, oh, he actually, he like sort of hacked into our <laughs> open source library system so we could see what books people had checked out, which like actually, you know, 
supposed to be able to do that <laughs> but he would just like see what i had checked out and then check it out and like was like ah. that's fantastic the hogwarts re- library restricted section yes. um yeah i mean the library had an adult and I, I think most libraries they have like an adult section a children's section and a, now they've started having a teens section and like what part of my job was keeping adults out of the, the kids section and vice versa adults couldn't go to the kids section you could if you had a kid like or present? if you were like there, but they were you know oh no like some a, a pedophile might come oh in i and... i i guess i i was just thinking like i could imagine myself swinging by to grab a baby shark book for my three-year-old niece yeah. right like that should be allowed it uh, it is like but it was this sort of like i don't know there was actually a lot of design work that went around making the area like visible from all sides you know so we could look sure. out for perverts but also so you could monitor the kids. <laughs> yeah, and if, like, if one of them starts taking a piss on the bookshelf, you want to be able to stop them before they finish, right? I, I think it would probably happen on the adult side. Like, the the thing that, that really struck me about that library was that there, it was full of smart kids and dumb adults. Like, <laughs> I was trying to also test myself, like, as I was driving over, um, because I was like, okay, I, I totally agree with everything in this, and I feel really, like... Actually, like, it was just making me mad reading all this shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, but is this, like, my real opinion? You know, like... And I, I, like, ran this scenario. I was like, okay, so what if, like, it's a survival situation, like zombie apocalypse, and I'm in the library, and I've got two guns, and I was like, okay, I, like, do you, do I give the other gun to an adult or a kid? And I just immediately was like, oh, no question. Like, I could think of which specific kids I would, like, be like, okay, you, you take this gun, like, you, you guard the, the kids section, I'll, like, whatever. And I was like, and I can, like, specific adults that I would not want anywhere near a gun. When you say kid... What age are you talking about? I'm talking about little there? kids. Like, I, I mean, like the first thought was one of our teen volunteers. But uh, they they definitely showed much more like just capability. Have you have you fired a gun? Huh? Have you shot a gun? Yeah. You know, like that. They, there's some kickback. Yeah, I'm but I'm sure, talking about like I'm a survival sure scenario. Yeah, me too. But I'm not sure if I would trust a nine year old's you know uh, forearm strength to handle the, the recoil of a gun. And not drop it or freak out at it, right? I mean, like, I think the, I'd, I think I'd hand it logistically, to whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, <laughs> if, if you've grown up in a rural area, you fired guns at nine. Fair enough, and I, I, didn't mean I to, mean, that's to, sort of besides the point. Like, like yeah. it, it's... I, I hit on the stupid point. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> I see what you're saying for the conscientiousness how, and, and. How old is Ellie in the first Last of Us game? Uh, she's twelve, right? Twelve-ish, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I mean that's you know it's a good example of fiction where. There's no real childhood, right? Right, because there's there's no time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I really liked about Last of Us too, because it'd been some years after, uh, probably ten years after the zombie apocalypse, right? Ten or thirteen years. No, the Last of Us one started thirty years after the apocalypse. Thirty, I believe so. Oh damn! Yeah, I thought I could have sworn it was like fifteen. Anyway, so yeah, this. <laughs> I mean, so you have maybe you have, it was. I mean, it was definitely more than a decade. Okay, I thought it was like two or three decades. In that case, yeah, I mean, you've got generations of people that didn't have childhoods, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So well, well, they still had childhoods. They didn't have adolescence. They had. I don't. Even, I mean, they had some childhood, but their childhood training included here's how, here's the end of a gun. The or here's the yeah. end of the gun. The bullets come out of and they included you know, essential skills. For right. Life. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, the one thing I was going to mention too was about, and I, I guess I don't want to harp on this the entire episode, but about the the meaning aspect of of what you get when you magically turn eighteen or something. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, like. I, I still think much of that lack of meaning comes from your lack of ability to influence the world at a large, at a, at a meaningful scale because of the way the world is, not because of how old you are. I think but, um, you're maybe thinking of meaning differently than they are talking about it in this. Like, 
it's not like it's not an you, you get to go world. change the world it's it's like more just the you feeling of control over your life be, yeah or even your own life like the, the choice to do it or not um also like it's be. more meaningful to be able to choose what you are going to eat for breakfast tomorrow than to have someone slop something down in front of you and said this is your food yeah um i i definitely agree that there are ways to treat children including young young adults uh with more autonomy than we do now and i mean this is a trick you can do with toddlers you know you let them pick do you want peas or carrots for dinner right and the fact that you give them a choice gives them authorship and they still have to eat the vegetable right mm -hmm. so like you're tricking them into doing one of the smart things mm -hmm. you know which arm do you want your covid vaccine in left or right <laughs> like you, they don't they don't get a choice of not getting it which i think is a good idea well they technically um, do depriving people of choices like straight up causes depression though like we you can reliably <laughs> create like really miserable environments for people by restricting their choices uh putting curfews on people like you know right yeah i'm, I'm just saying that as far Ma as making them feel helpless yeah so you, you give them you can give small children the it's a good way of putting it we're enforcing helplessness yeah no it's like there's, there's this years. concept of learned helplessness mm -hmm. and i see i see adults with it but like mm -hmm. it, it um is literally like you can teach you can teach a behavior uh of helplessness they they did like uh the study that actually coined the term i think was they took dogs and uh, they had them in this maze or something like that. And there was an area where you would get a shock. Uh, I might be like... They had jumped through a window, basically. Once, like, the floor would electrocute. Yeah. Yeah. And but if they like, closed the window, then they just lay there and get If shocked. you stick dogs in there and then, like, the, you leave the box open. And, yeah, they, they will, like, run away as soon as they start getting shocked. But, like, if you close the door and they have no choice about whether or not they're getting shocked... Uh, if later, like, if they've learned that behavior, like, okay, this this sound happens, and then I get a shock, yeah. and there's nothing I can do about it. When, they, when they've when they learned, there's nothing I can do about it, which doesn't take very long. They, you can open the door, and the dog won't leave the box, even if it's getting shocked. Yeah, because it's already learned. It's going to get shocked. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of doing anything? That was, I think, the experiment that taught me when I was a teenager and first learned about it. And then I came across the Peter Singer quote that put it so succinctly that... Either animals aren't related to, like enough to us cognitively to where these experiments are valuable to learn anything about people at all, mm. or they are, in which case it's monstrously unforgivable to do these experiments <laughs> on them, right? Right, right? Like, what good is it to know that you can torture a dog till it's sad forever, right? Mm. That doesn't help us learn anything, you know, unless unless it is transferable to people, in which case you're a fucking monster. Um, I and think well, I, I think it's kind of also to get back to the point, kind of monstrous that we are spending a good five plus years teaching all humans helplessness. Maybe maybe this guy observes childhood, and it's interesting because the book was published in 2008, which is the year I turned 18, mm -hmm. um, give or take a year. Uh, I'm bad at remembering what age I am. Um, <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> but, but in any case, uh, you know, so like my childhood is not at all like he's describing. I had a job at 15. I had a job at 16. And, uh, you know, after- Was after it a shit job? Yeah. But for the, for the most part- Could your parents take away any of your property if they wanted to? Could they take away your phone or your right to drive a car? I I wasn't allowed to have a phone or video games. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there were there were a lot of things that were taken away from me because you can you legally can't own property. Like your parents can take away anything as a means of controlling you and oftentimes they do. Yeah, I mean, so part of me wonders if like this I, I and we'll get to the like what are proposed solutions this guy has, but like my parents were also pretty chill about most stuff. Like so you had pretty good parents. I, I had pretty good parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, you know, 
the one thing that like we didn't have was like you know a large set of books at home or something you know like they, they weren't very academic but like other than that we had all the freedoms in the world mm-hmm. like i don't think i even had a phone until i was 15 or 16 and it was a hand-me-down because my mom got a new phone actually i was i was the last kid of us i think to get a phone but i mean i grew up at the age where uh at 14 i could go to my mom and be like all right i'll be i'm gonna go out and she's like all right be home by dinner and like, granted, that's a impacting on my freedom or whatever. Mm. But it also kind of makes sense if you ever had a, a child or a pet that you care about that like you want to know where it is when it gets dark out. You know, like, mm. I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable restriction to put on someone's freedom. And it wasn't even be home by dinner necessarily. It was at least call me and let me know if you'll make it to dinner so I know how much food to prepare, which yeah. is, again, I, I don't want to nitpick, but like that's a restriction on freedom. You're asking me to do something. Yeah. But like, that's just that's just life. You yeah, know, if, if you're going to if you're going to miss work you're allowed to miss work by an hour. If you tell your boss, Hey, I'm going to be an hour late, you know, yeah. um, unless your boss sucks like Charlie's. Um, <laughs> but you know, my boss, I, they don't care. I, sometime this week, I'm going to take an hour off for a doctor appointment and they don't, you know, like, Oh my God, they treat you like an adult. Right. But, yeah. but that's the thing. Well, I mean, that's, I was also treated this way as a child. So like my, I, I was not, I, I despised and, my father. So I think, I think that's a main difference is that like, I wonder at what point, like part of this is societal slash legal and what part of it is just like at home. Yes. You know, like my parents. Well, uh, I mean, your parents were pretty good. But the thing is, if you don't, you don't have pick good your parents. parents. Yeah, you don't pick your parents. If you don't have good parents, you're fucked. Whereas uh, one of the things he advocates is if you don't have your good parents, you should be able to leave. If you can demonstrate that you're capable uh, of living your own life, you should be able to be like, buy and go and have your own life. This reminds me of like foster home situations where mm. if kids get older, they're less likely to be adopted. To the point where when you're in your teens, like, those kids don't want to be adopted. They want to get jobs and, like, they've already sort of, in a lot of the cases, been in a situation of, like, taking care of younger kids. Yeah. And having to take care of themselves they in a lot be, of ways. But yeah. there's still this, like, until you're 18, you're, you have to be somebody's property. That's an interesting thing he brings up later on in the book, too, where young mothers are held legally liable for their children. Oh, yeah, at, like 14. Yeah, so, yeah. But, like, but they are not given the legal ability to do any of these things, so they're put in this impossible situation. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Charlie moved out of the house at 15. She got her own job. She got her own apartment. And once you are in a place... Like, okay... My parents have gotten better, I think. Uh, maybe it's just to mellowing when th- with age, or maybe it's because of how badly me and my sister rebelled against all this control. But Well, and now they can't tell you what to do. This is probably another big part of it. Yes, but no, I mean, I'm talking about now my uh, younger brothers. Uh, my brother Chris, he st- has never moved out of my parents' house. He's 30, 31 at this point, and they get along well, and he pays rent. They have extra room. It's like a roommate situation where... You know, you can live that way with your parents if if you have a good relationship with them. But there's always the option of like, if things go to shit, all right, I'm I'm moving out. You know, there's that difference in autonomy over your own life makes a huge difference as opposed to well, you are imprisoned in this house, you have to sleep here, you have to go to school, you have no other choices of what you, you can have do. To with report your life. on where you're going and what uh-huh. time you're coming back, and and if you do anything we don't like, we'll take away everything that matters to you and in my case my parents were the only way i could get transportation somewhere so like we can we can take away your ability to see other people in your life that matter to you for indefinite amounts of time yeah i mean so i guess that we'll we'll keep moving through the the book but like i said there there seems to be a big difference between shit parenting and shit societal expectations of young people but in any 
in previous societies, if the parenting was bad, the kids could go and do other things. Or they couldn't, and they just their 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 legal recourse was, yeah, you sit home and get your ass whooped. Well, yeah, the, in the nine-year-old example, she couldn't do much of anything. But you know, talking about I, once adolescence hits. I mean, I I know somebody who, when fifteen, left home, and it basically went super terribly. Hmm. Um, you know, like it the the ability to leave home doesn't like. I mean, it gives you an out, yeah. right? It, it gives you autonomy. It doesn't mean your life's going to be great. It, no. it, it might mean that it's way worse than if you had just cut your fucking hair like your dad told you to. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was the reason you wanted you can, to move out. Maybe you can go back and say, okay, my hair's cut now. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it, you at it, least have that option. When you yeah. see the real world, you're like, oh, okay, this wasn't so bad. Let's go I, back. I think the freedom to make that choice is important, too. They, they mm-hmm. made that point in the book about how um, it's... The, the the things like of that protect people from themselves, I think, are the most harmful part of this because, like, teenagers do have that like risk seeking or risk tolerance, um, because that is the time of your life when you are supposed to be going and trying things and making mistakes and like you learn and how you can to absorb the consequences of mistakes much easier when you're younger, whether yeah. they're physical or whatever. Well, I mean, like. It's sort of similar to um, our last episode, and then sort of even like similar to the the banned goods store again, mm-hmm. the whole like giving people the choice of what they do to themselves, right. <laughs> and you it, it shouldn't be able to just outright ban something because somebody might hurt themselves with it. That's like people are that, allowed. That's literally infantilization. Yeah, people should be allowed to make mistakes. People should be allowed to be wrong. I know. I I know. I say that a lot, and in large part, it's because I'm against censorship and. The argument for censorship is always these people are wrong and they shouldn't be allowed to be wrong in public where they can convince other people to be wrong. But you should have the right to be wrong about things and that's okay. Maybe I'm wrong about something, but if somebody tries to shut me up about it, that's that's going to be a problem. There were people who were wrong about whether gays should have rights or not. And the fact that they were allowed to talk about how gays should be rights is what allowed us to see that actually they weren't wrong. It was everybody else. Yeah, I mean, there, I, you know... Not to get on the free speech thing, but there there are cases where like no, there's something that there can't be true information that the more wide widely known it is, the worse off everyone is or something. Um, that's like this the, the hardest steel man case. Yeah, like an info hazard, or if it just turned out to be really easy, um, and it's getting easy, uh, you can order um genetic sequences to you know for your own home bio labs. You uh, sure can. And so you know, in three years, you'll be able to make your own COVID. You know, COVID. 20 what year is it 20 2021 right now it is you can make you can make your covid 24 <laughs> How old what year and is it? <laughs> it, ha- it has a 50 percent mortality rate and like so we shouldn't publish that recipe online and it's a true thing but that's a, that's a whole other thing was uh, covid 19 named that because it was created in 2019 it's discovered in 2019 huh. so all, um, all the dipshits were like oh no they they found it they found 18 of these you know the 19th one isn't that big of a deal um, <laughs> that's just because they heard that on the news and they listened to the wrong news yeah. um but uh I guess um, this does come down to kind of what we talked about last week about, you know, what kinds of mistakes people should be allowed to make. Because I, you know, I had a hard time engaging with that properly last week because, uh, you know, Charlie's so much of the case was coming from Charlie, who was resting on her personal life experience. Mm. And for me to argue it with her would be like, I disagree with your life experience. (laughs) And so I, I couldn't be like, well, sure, it worked for you, but I think you might be the exception rather than the rule. Um or, you a know, lot of these like, things, I mean, especially on the younger uh, side of things, are for people who are the exception rather than the rule. But also, I think those people are very important. 
I know just recently we were talking in the Mind Killer podcast about how California is getting rid of all their gifted programs for math. Because they yeah. canceled the gifted program I was in as a kid because of, I think, equality or equity yeah. issues. Yeah, because it, the the people who are not as good as math are not being served equally or something. But that's the whole point. We want people who are exceptional in these things to have access to that. They're some, the ones some that of are going to do. Yeah, yeah, they're the ones that are going to be driving society, and they really need that. So school is less torturous, and they can make something of themselves and. This is the same kind of thing where, like, yeah, the exceptions do matter. And so if you're crippling all the exceptional people because some people are not exceptional, that's not acceptable. Yeah. I... It's, it's the same reason, like, oh, no, we can't make R-rated movies because what if a kid sees it somewhere? I'm like, fuck you. Fuck protecting the kids. <laughs> I like my R-rated action movies. I think some kids can also watch R-rated movies. Yes, they can. Like, I've, met... I've heard actually kids are pretty good about... I've met plenty of kids who have, like, the ability to watch gore and like sex scenes and have like actual informed opinions about them and not be traumatized by it and if they can't they do the thing where like they cover their eyes or look away like there is a common protective response <laughs> i do that now if you're not mature enough yeah I, right? I was watching a movie a couple nights ago where you know this crazy woman is is it's the middle of the night and she's cutting like celery and onions and stuff yeah. and i'm like oh she's gonna chop her fingers off because there's like, a ghost in the house so i'm, I'm I literally <laughs> just got my i'm waiting for it to happen not looking at the screen got my arm up and then I'm looking at Rachel and I watch her wince. I'm like, yeah, I knew that was coming. I told mm -hmm. you. And it was gross. And then I watch up and, you know, she's like cutting them into pieces too or cut off fingers because ghost, ghost oh, madness, right? Oh, okay. But like, <laughs> I don't, I don't like, madness. I'm squeamish about stuff. Yeah. And I watched a lot of R-rated movies as a kid. Some probably traumatized me. Some probably didn't. Um, you know, I don't know if I was terrified of spiders before the fifth time I saw the movie Arachnophobia, but uh, probably didn't help. The one that um, sticks out most in my mind, when I was a little kid, I saw someone getting garroted in a public bathroom. And like, that's Jesus Christ. Right, well, I mean, not in real life, in a movie. Okay. <laughs> I, was, otherwise, was it, I would have been capped as a witness. Was it the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? No, uh, I don't remember what movie it was. It was just some random gangster flick, gotcha. and that like kind of fucked me up. It came out of nowhere. But like, you know, then I watched the Freddy Krueger movies, and those were so cartoonish. Like, whatever. It wasn't a big deal compared to like seeing an example of actual violence where there wasn't even any blood involved, but the dude was struggling for his life. I was like, oh fuck. I think one of the creepiest this is sorry some side topic uh labyrinth the movie the labyrinth yeah uh you know that that it's like a bloodless scene but um that that I, that's the only thing i've seen in a movie that ever actually disturbed me to this level uh there's a scene where a character smashes a person's face in with a bottle huh like it, it, it the, he takes a bottle and he's repeatedly just smashing him in the face with it and oh, the special effect like it looks like real violence in a way that movies often don't mm -hmm. I don't remember that scene. Yeah, I, I remember, and you know, I saw that when I was in my twenties, and I found that disturbing. Yeah, but uh, sure, I don't know. I, I think I'm only saying that because I have a hard time. I, I was like going through my childhood memories and being like, actually, I was like, I, I was difficult to traumatize in <laughs> yeah. some ways. Uh, I had like farm animals, and I got to like see some of my like pet ducks get killed by a fox and stuff in oh, real life. Yeah. So it was like movie violence didn't even. Right, you saw an actual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should, um, should we move which, on? Um, so, oh, yeah. What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, should we move on to some of the ways young people get fucked? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like you, let's let's frame it a little differently and like look. At, let's let's look at the case for this. Some people get fucked. Okay. And I mean, I just you're you're you're, you're uh, loading your 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 your. Uh, well, of course, I want to win. <laughs> there, there's a word for this 
I will ask our lawyers where you're, you're, you're priming the jury or something, right? Poisoning the well, maybe? Yeah, poisoning the well is the word I was looking for, but yeah, there's there's a jury word for it, too. But I don't know I'm if trying that's to think of it. I know what you Le- mean. Leading the witness, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, like, yes. So I, speaking of legal stuff, all right. The one of the problems is the juvenile legal system, which has been completely divorced from the actual legal system. Uh, he points out that the Fifth Amendment of our Constitution guarantees that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, property without due process of the law. Um, and the Sixth Amendment guarantees the accused shall enjoy a right to speedy and public trial by an impartial jury. But apparently, uh, if you are under 18, you do not count as a person anymore. Uh, because as of the 1960s, in many states, less than 5% of juvenile offenders were represented by counsel at all. They didn't have juries at their trials, and most hearings were held in secret. That part's weird. I was going to ask about trying children as adults. Um, you know, I, I do think that it makes sense. I, I'm curious what the reasoning is behind not having jurors and stuff like that for, for children um, criminality. But, uh, you know, I saw a video on Reddit. I think it was r slash convenient cop. And uh, there's a cop at a gas station. And as it happens, he was there while across the gas station, some kid was doing his gang initiation thing and shooting into a, a gas station parking lot oh, shit. killing some 79 year old war veteran and the kid was a kid mm. um you know i, I probably post puberty because i think it was a young teen he could reach the pedals okay. he, he could probably reach the pedals um <laughs> i don't know if he's tried it as an adult or not but is this kind of arguing that like no if you've you know if you're I'm trying you to should face it. consequences if you fuck up well yes so it seems to be kind of the argument is that uh if you break a law unless you are literally incompetent to the point of like you know an eight-year-old is where they don't know what you're doing you face consequences like any other citizen does so you get the right to a trial by jury you get the right to a lawyer and you're treated like a regular person i think you should have juries and lawyers and all that for and he does whatever that one of the things you can do to be treated as an adult is to commit a crime serious enough that people have to drop the farce that you aren't an adult. So yeah, oftentimes gang initiations include things like reckless behavior, usually not literal um, required murder, but reckless behavior that can lead to killing someone. Uh, because if you do kill someone, all of a sudden the system's like, okay, we're, we're done fucking around pretending you're a child. You're facing actual consequences for this. But for the most part, they just take away people's right to have a trial because it'd be inconvenient to treat them like a real person and just be like, oh no, you're going to juvie uh, where we decide and your fate for you because parents you did face the consequences. And oftentimes parents face consequences. And like yeah. that's, then that provides another incentive to control kids more. Mm-hmm. Alright, so there's, there's a couple things to unpack there. I do disagree with the fact that children for the legal definition aren't given juries and uh, lawyers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not going to argue that, that point. But I, I do think that there's something to the fact that I don't, you know, my recollection of my childhood is not great. I don't think at 13 I knew what a consequence 10 years from the road down the road could possibly look like. Right. I, because I, my my memory of the previous 10 years was basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I couldn't imagine 10 years into the future. Mm-hmm. What would it be like to spend 15 years in prison? Mm-hmm. I would literally couldn't imagine it. Right. Okay. I'm assuming. I, I can't ask my 13-year-old self. If you were at the level of maturity where you actually cannot be held legally responsible because you just haven't developed that far, you won't be. Well, but... Like, that's that's the thing. You treat children like children. You treat people who aren't children like not children. So, I mean, I, and I'm going to... I wanted to save this for some point, and I don't want to get derailed, but we'll we'll put a pin in it of, like, how the hell do you measure that? But we'll, mm-hmm. let's move past that for mm-hmm. a sec. Because, I mean, I, I do think that at some point, 
like i guess when i think of parents i don't think of them as like you know uh jail wardens or um you know owners of property i i think of and ide- ideally huh you had pretty good parents right i i so i i had good parents but i think that in an ideal the way that this should work is that parents should be like the stewards of their kids mm-hmm. and in a way in a in a not insignificant way you are responsible for how they turn out um there, there's you know a lot of shake up about uh basically they're gonna turn out how they're gonna turn out whether or not you fuck up or not and you know you have to really fuck up for them to be fucked up from your you know whatever if you don't traumatize your kids like too too much yeah well i mean i mean if you don't traumatize them then they they i think have pretty successfully shown that like a large part of the way kids turn out is just genetic yeah and And so the thing is like doesn't like matter that much if you did fuck up your children even in pre-industrial societies again using the term not technically correctly but whatever uh even if you weren't held accountable for their actions and the children would be the one who was sent to the mines and punishment or whatever and by children again i mean someone who is uh, physically an adult and knows how to accept consequences it's not like people don't know that your child is the one that fucked up and you are held in some way reputationally responsible which is where the whole you have brought dishonor on the family name comes from like yeah, it is a, a mark against the family name if the child goes and does something like that because eh, maybe the parents fucked something up really bad. And they probably could have done better if, you're, if your 12-year-old is shooting people. Yes. Um, now, not, not in every case, but in probably many My of them. My sister uh, used to work at a preschool or elementary school in Atlantic City, and there were kids bringing knives. Like, Yeah. I didn't quote that the statistic, but yeah, he also um, quoted how many pe- how many adolescents bring weapons to school now. Yeah, and that they like busted for drugs and like just like, I don't know that. Wait, you said preschool? They're busted for drugs? Uh, not uh, elementary school. Uh, <laughs> what kind of drugs? Oh, elementary can... school. So at that, I will say it's Holy bad parenting. I, I think that's bad parenting. The parents should, parents should be held accountable. You know, because the the kid, as we've talked about, can't get a job with uh you know uh and earn income to buy their own drugs from the drug dealer down the street. Mm-hmm. They're finding them at their parents' house. You lock that shit up. He, you know, he you makes, put it on top of the fridge where the nine-year-old can't get to it. He I wanted makes a similar point about gangs: how gangs actually serve a need and give teens a lot of agency because then you can make your own money, you can support yourself. Oh yeah, and I they find even, that quote. yeah, and they uh, even have like strict organizations with ranks that you can increase your standing in. Like gangs are pretty decent, aside from the whole you know <laughs> breaking okay, um, laws and killing people thing. Yeah, it's so, interesting. We were talking about the. Um, sorry, I, I just for, before I forget the the uh, kids will turn out how they're going to turn out unless you radically fuck up. Uh, that seems to be the case, and yet we're all aghast at the, the, the fact that they're getting rid of advanced standing programs for math and stuff. But in the next breath, we're saying kids are going to turn out how they're going to turn out, no matter you know unless you traumatize them. Like I personally am making the argument here that all of society is traumatizing almost all of our kids, and it is having massive impacts for I'm up, decades. Upset at them taking away like the opportunity for a kid to advance themselves early like the there were so many um savant like level really smart kids at, at my library there was a kid who built a he built a retro pie from a raspberry pie and then made a cardboard console to house it in <laughs> and uh uploaded a bunch of video games to it as just like a public service to the library nice. <laughs> so we had like a, a little arcade thing but, and i was just like this kid should be in the workforce yeah. <laughs> like and the, the book is just I could peppered tell with this, examples like that this kid was this like sort of you know like nerdy shy and uh kid that i could just see full of adult anxiety all the time it like 
uh, it, it kind of pissed me off because it, this kid was clearly like adult level maturity yeah. and was being treated like a baby and i could like i would i would watch him pace and like pull his hair and i, I actually have trichotillomania and i was like i remembered that i also developed it around that age mm. <laughs> which uh, trichotillomania is a type of ocd where you compulsively pull out your hair and i was like I, i'm watching this kid like develop trichotillomania <laughs> from these circumstances he's being held back you know he's not being recognized he's bored uh but the thing about gangs, uh, sorry, getting back to that, I just wanted to say that I, I really liked this one quote that you pulled out. Gang activity is not childlike. It's most definitely adult. Gangs emulate small governments and armies. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, gives kids a, gives a, I, and you know, I'm using the word kids in the not pejorative sense, but we need some, it's too many syllables to say. Young uh, people constantly. Well, or. Teens? Young people, young people of adult physical. Can we just uh, say teens? Age. Sure, yeah, <laughs> teens work. It's got one syllable. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, then someone will quibble about eighteen and nineteen. But yeah, we'll we'll say teens. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely gives teens a sense of authorship. You know, you have to do what your boss tells you, lest you get possibly killed. But um, you know, there's there's not a lot of freedom when your boss can kill you. Um, but there's there's some. I'm not pro gang maybe... to be clear. No, <laughs> I, I, don't I, I hope none of us are. I don't think the them is. as like yeah. a bad outcome uh, of this system though that like oppresses kids. Yeah. yeah, I can see that point. I started. This is like sort of related, so I'm saying it. I, I started uh, looking at jobs in the medical field that are not strictly clinical research. Um, for example, I was looking at a medical assistant position, and I was looking at all the requirements, and I was like, I have all these requirements. Uh, and then they said, must have spent two years in the field. And I looked at all, all the other jobs that I was looking at um, had that requirement of need, needs two years experience doing this thing. And I was like, how does anybody get hired if you need two years experience? Like, yeah. I can't. <laughs> this, this is this thing that they, you run into with teens and college kids, too, where, like, unless you work, like, an unpaid internship somewhere <laughs> to get experience, you, like... And people used to get experience just by going out and working in the thing they were actually interested in. I could, like, self... I mean, I'm self-taught in all the fields that I went into, and I've done a bunch of different jobs. It's like, let me learn on my feet, you know? Yeah. This this is the, the eternal paradox of basically every young person's attempt to get into any real employment. Well, where fortunately... Okay. They, they, they often don't even count internships, because mm. uh, that was something that my, my wife found when she graduated. She doesn't like to brag about it, but I will. She got an Ivy League uh, master's degree, and was told over and over no you need you need years of ex- you know experience well, like i interned for three of those years yeah internships don't count it's like how the hell oh, does Jesus. anybody get into the field then right yeah. they, so it, it's just a kind of a huge fuck you that said in your particular case and everyone listening apply to those jobs anyway yeah. um no, they're I'm often to. put together by the hr person who has no idea what the job is and if somebody looks at your actual experience then they're like oh they actually know what they're doing i don't care if they haven't done this for two years that they got paid for it or something right i'm actually Sometimes. curious to see if uh i could get this statistician job um where they were it was like okay the requirements again were like you need to have these licenses and i was like okay i could get those and then like you need to know r or strata or like a um statistical programming language and i was like i could learn that <laughs> i'm just really curious to see if like i have all these other requirements i have like really related experience in clinical research um it's like if if you're willing to take me on and like and let me just self-learn this or even like if you have an educational opportunity uh i don't know this is the kind of thing that i like what email can people reach you at <laughs> jlyndicky at gmail.com 
Okay, we will put it in the show notes as Today well. I learned your middle name. L-Y-N-N-E. My parents had to, they had to do that. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, and I'll, I'll just put out there for everyone looking for jobs. If it says, you know, two years experience, just apply. Um, you know, it's at least worth the effort to apply. If it says five to ten or, to, you know, seven plus or something, probably don't waste your 45 minutes applying. But mm. nowhere says, you know, we'll take anybody with no experience. So just, just apply to jobs. Well, I'm glad we're talking about jobs because the next section is about labor and child labor laws. And we're going to talk about crime and stuff, too. Um, oh, yeah. Did you have a thought you wanted to finish on that before we move on to labor? Uh, not for this is more for crime. But uh, are we are we done with crime or are we go ahead and hit the crime thing before uh, we abandon that particular boat? So I guess it it does want us. I need to know what criterion you use to gauge uh, maturity. Competency. Competency. The, the same criteria you would use for every other human, including what we now call adults, because like some people aren't competent even when they're uh, in the age of majority. And usually we have some exceptions for the mentally handicapped or something. But uh, well, not usually, almost always. Um, but it would be the same sort of thing where you are judged based on your actual capabilities as opposed to an arbitrary number cutoff. How do you judge someone's actual capabilities when they're at the cusp of gaining those capabilities? We can get into that later on, okay. but the short answer is uh, when you can score better than 50% of adults, you are uh, considered competent. And like I think that was specifically a Raven's matrices, right, or some some other iq test yeah, uh it was yeah there were a number of competency tests that yeah were yeah so that you can do yeah basic cognitive tests um just that, to determine whether you know like does this person have problem solving skills um hmm all right i i will hold my reservations for that for the most part other than to throw out because i can't control myself uh i feel like an iq test a you can easily bomb Yes. On purpose. Yes. And so you could make yourself seem incompetent. Okay. And if you're a kid who somehow has the That's cognitive really capacity. That's a strange thing for someone to do, but okay. Well, if you knew you were facing 10 years in prison otherwise, you, you I would be very incentivized oh, well, to people fail. People plead insanity all the time, I mean. Right, but uh, apparently I was asking a lawyer, not as often as one might think, but... and Probably because the lawyers tell them, no, this will never fly. Right. Uh, but the, you know, if you're, if, you're represent, if you're routinely representing 14-year-olds, you might say, look, they're going to give you a test take a long time and answer some questions wrong mm -hmm. right the, or that would just test, float around online you know yeah the test wouldn't be done like after you've committed the crime this is something people are going to be doing when they want rights oh so like you don't get to go get a job until you pass this test yes and then once you pass that test you can't pretend i'm a child right okay okay that gets around some of the problems for me appreciate it thank you sure all right we'll jump into the next topic here okay well since we were talking about labor traditionally when people uh wanted to do things they just went and did them and oftentimes they would help their parents and whatever their parents are doing which is how they slowly got integrated into adult society yeah or go uh, apprentice and often apprentice I, yeah i'm pretty annoyed the apprenticeship is not really a, like uh, some fields i'm thinking of plumbers i know specifically apprentice people mm-hmm and I'm annoyed that more fields don't have an apprenticeship option. <laughs> I, I honestly can't think of any field that apprenticeship couldn't work. Like, I'm an accountant, and that could easily work in accounting. Like, is there any field where you can't apprentice? I'm trying to think of one. Uh, I mean, like... Even, like, really high-end yeah. research, you can still use an apprentice to help you around the lab, and they start no, honestly, picking up yeah, skills. I was thinking and, that. Uh, yeah. I mean, most, most people are actually just sort of self-taught for their job anyway. Yes. That, like, you can't... Almost no one uses anything they learned in college or yeah. high school on the job. There's things that you actually just can't teach, too. Like, you do, you need the experience, but you need the experience by 
trying to do the thing, fucking up, and then learning from that. <laughs> I guess this is going to the school thing, which we will yeah. get to later. I, I was going to say, like, biochem lab, where you're working with really, da- really dangerous stuff. Right. I, I don't want a 15-year-old interning with me. I want somebody who's been doing this for 10 years interning with me. Um, no, but you that, don't that, want someone who's ten, been working with it for 10 years because they won't intern with you. They already know everything, and they want a higher-level job. Let me rephrase that, then. Well, the, the, this is the highest-level job, right? If, well, I, if yeah, I'm working you on... You right, don't right. get the highest-level job. I, I was, so I was, <laughs> you said, is there any job you can inter- internship for? my first thought was like nuclear lab physicist you could um, totally be an intern in there i wouldn't want children i wouldn't want teens bumbling around when i'm building a nuclear bomb so one of the actual examples he gives where i complain slightly about these being everywhere the two to three paragraph things is i think what is now known as the nuclear boy scout but the kid who at 13 started building his own small nuclear reactor and it took him two years to finish it so this guy had you know some some major uh what i would consider adult uh ability to commit to a project but yeah two years later he had a very small working nuclear reactor in his garage and it was even safe michio kaku claims to have built a particle accelerator in his garage as a kid i remember hearing about maybe that. there were very large particles <laughs> i'm accelerating this Which, bb like, gun ball <laughs> I, I just don't doubt that some kid in the world could do that i don't know if he... I have like squinty eyes at Michio Kaku. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've specifically heard that particle. Exo- well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. They wouldn't cost a billion dollars. They wouldn't cost tens of billions of dollars say. to make if if a fifteen year old could make one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That said, I'll, I mean, I, maybe like a precursor to a particle accelerator. The the internship business makes a ton of sense. I mean, you did mention way earlier on about like plumbing, electrician, and all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't want a fifteen year old uh, wiring electricity to my house. They don't I do it mind, on their own. I wouldn't mind if they were watching a professional do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah like passing the you know wire cutters. Yeah, and hand me a screwdriver. The saying like, yeah. okay, this blue one is attached here, and like, so when you do this yourself, you got to remember to strip this one this way. You know, like. There's another example given in the book about someone who started working. Uh, I believe this was in India, but started working in the medical field really early, and by the age 15 was doing his first uh, surgery. I think it was a cesarean section under the supervision of an actual, you know very experienced surgeon watching them but yeah they were holding the knife and doing the surgery on their own and you can start doing that like at fucking 15 did the patient know that a 15 year old who had never done this before was doing the surgery it didn't say <laughs> um there's actually uh this is going back into the school topic but there was a discussion on slate story codex uh when they were talking about how to how to train a prodigy it was um there was this dude and his wife uh, were, I think, both mathematicians mm-hmm. or something, and they uh, wanted to see if they could train their kids to be, if you could teach someone to be a child prodigy. So they they trained their kids at chess from like a really young age. Uh, and I think they had three daughters, or I forget if it was two Blue or three daughters. Yeah, and I think all of them like achieved like master level mm-hmm. chess skills at a very young age. Um, and then so people were talking about sort of the intersection in the rationalist community of. Um, unschooling yeah and this sort of thing about like gatekeeping jobs and i remember people were trying to they're like are there things you couldn't teach a kid to do like like if if you're unschooling your kid and and you want to train your kid to be like the world's best surgeon at a very young age like how would how would you be able to teach your kid surgery and somebody's like well i don't know you could go to the butcher shop and get like (laughs) i mean the way you would teach anyone in college surgery yeah yeah but it was just people trying to come up with i just was remembering like what what's something that you couldn't like teach a kid from home or like that a kid could the kid could not learn by doing and the limitations were mainly like i mean like you probably can't take your kid to the large hadron collider yeah and like let them go poke around in it but 
aside from that, I mean, like you could teach a kid to do anything an adult can do. So speaking of job gatekeeping, uh, up until the late 1880s, there were basically no child labor laws. In 1879, only seven states had any child labor laws in place, and all were being ignored or circumvented to some extent. Uh, the major change happened after the Great Depression, when jobs were suddenly very scarce, and they started actually enforcing and passing more child restriction laws in order to keep the adults with the uh, the jobs with the adults. Yeah, they the, like wanted kids out of the workforce yes. for like economics reasons like uh it was interesting up until 1935 the supreme court would strike down child labor laws on constitutional grounds because back then i guess people who weren't 18 were still considered persons with constitutional rights uh it was the first law that got through on a federal level was the walsh healy public contracts act which uh prevented the federal government from employing females under 18 or males under 16 yeah what the fuck is with the age gap there well, everyone knows that women achieve mental fitness at a ho- at later than, than men. I'm sure it was the thinking 100 years ago. Yeah. A lot of child labor legislation was also propelled by big businesses because uh, the, the big upper class industrialists didn't depend on cheap labor. And yeah, I was going to say, because McDonald's needs like fry flippers. Yeah, they could, they could drive out <laughs> marginal flippers. manufacturers uh, by, by saying you, you cannot afford to hire people anymore so now we are the only employers left in town uh the major exception is that uh on family-owned farms young people can still work without any restriction and it turns out more than 100,000 young young americans do so every year without suffering any ill effects so you know and farms like nowadays uh i mean even back then they're technically complex mm. but like you've got like grain threshers that you could you have, lose an arm in yeah that, like you know big combines like it's like dangerous hard labor with like a lot of it being automated and stuff now too and kids are totally staying you know um using the school exception and working on the farm you handle a lot of heavy machinery i know were you there yes i think you were there when we were talking with charlie about um her youth because she said by the age of 14 she was driving just fine because yeah she grew up in an agricultural uh, environment and she'd been Doing the thing you were talking, uh, talking, standing, sitting on her dad's lap and steering, and then eventually handling more and more machinery because that's just a thing you do when you grow up on the farm. Yeah, I learned to drive a tractor before a car. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. You know, it. It seems like we can't have it both ways. Where I, I, I suspect I'll have very little contention with the labor stuff. Um, we'll we'll see. I'm sure I can think of some when they come up, but like no no ill effects working on the family farm or whatever, except for. If you don't go out and plow the fields till sundown, you can't, uh, whatever, watch TV tonight. So you still have like that coercion level of, of you know, dick-ass parenting where they're, where they're making you do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't like how he can just say, oh, yeah, t- parents who force their kids to do stuff are the worst, unless they're forcing them to farm. Like, I mean, you know, you're generally not forcing them to farm as slave labor. They're helping out on the farm and... They're, they're, they're helping out in exchange for having uh, access to their to their Game Boy that night, right? No, I like, worked as a kid. Um, yeah. I, I said I, I got a job at fourteen, but like even before that, my parents both ran their own businesses, and I worked with them when I got the opportunity or when they needed the help. I worked with my dad because he, yeah, he had his own business as well, and like he would pay me not a lot because my labor wasn't worth very much, <laughs> but enough that uh, I bought my own Nintendo when uh, that came out, and it was. 
if I didn't want to work, I didn't have to. Like, he didn't oh, say, you have to come work with me or you can't do chores. Yeah, see, I, I was... I thinking... mean, or you can't <laughs> watch TV. Yeah, see, oh, I... I want to do chores. I, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I could I could imagine on a family farm where it's like, no, actually, I depend on your labor and I need you out here. Sorry, you know, come home from school, save your homework for later. Well, I mean, you, you know, might say like... that to your child, but, like, then you tell them, I depend on your labor, I need you out here. And it's not like you're forcing them into slave labor. It's like, I'm helping my family. I am needed, like... This is important. A lot of kids actually want to. You um, want to be important well, and help I mean, your family. Um, I was reading some article about, or maybe it was a podcast, but it was about like why specifically Mexican kids are so well adjusted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I realized they were talking about Mexican kids from Mexico, where the the tradition, I guess, or the culture is that like you you start letting kids like help out around the house as soon as they as soon as they start to like show that they want to help and the thing kids like reliably will mimic their parents like the, and uh so, so somebody was like how come like mexican kids can like balance a checkbook and hold down a job or like do all of the house chores take care of the younger siblings and american kids can't like be responsible for a goldfish and it's like um the answer was you have to let the kid be bad at a thing for a while like there's a kid that was cooking dinner for his younger siblings at like age like six and he like using knives and <laughs> gas stove and like it's like he learned how to do it because he started helping when he was three. Yeah, there's there's like, a he wanted quote to from Adventure Time. The sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at something. Yeah, that that's the thing that like is kind of driving me nuts about this the the freedom to make mistakes or whatever or like to uh well sorry um Stephen you said earlier like parents should be their children's stewards and i totally agree with that i think like i mean obviously i'm pro uh radical unschooling with the idea that like a kid will kids will educate themselves um unless they're stopped from doing so yeah i i think i'm crap i don't remember where i saw this link but recently uh they dropped off a crate by they, uh, an international nonprofit organization dropped off a crate of, I believe it was iPads, maybe not specifically Apple branded, but an iPad type product uh, outside a village in someplace in rural Africa. It was in Ghana. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was a place where they couldn't really get the infrastructure to build schools and that they didn't have internet out there or anything, but they just dropped off these pads. Those wouldn't have worked. I, like these, these were kids that also worked on farms and like, yeah, did, they had to walk everywhere. So it was like just logistically, there was no way to organize public school. And this was sorry, I'm sort of taking over your story. I just think this is fucking cool. It's they, amazing. They found out you can just give kids iPads and they will teach themselves how to like how to program. Like, I remember they gave them just a computers. box of iPads without instructions, <laughs> yeah. and they, I mean, they almost immediately they found out how to turn it on. Yeah. And then they just, they more and more uh, played with it. They taught themselves literacy using this stuff. And like really interestingly, it was, I think, less than nine months that uh, some of the smarter kids had actually hacked into the system and started Yeah, they routing, started learning programming. Yeah, yeah, started <laughs> routing around the restrictions they had put in on that pad. Uh, it was, it was great. And like, they, the, the results of the study were like, we might be able to educate mass areas of the world just by dropping off a crate of iPads with learning material on them because yeah. kids like to learn. They do they, it on their own. They want to. Yeah. Uh, except, I don't know, maybe some don't, but the thing is that you're not going to force that kid to learn if they don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> you let that kid go out and plow the fields if that's what he wants to do. There's a... This is, yeah. <laughs> too unrelated. Never mind. Okay. I, I'm, yeah. I guess, I mean, that's that's putting together the labor with the schooling thing but they are closely related because a lot of the reason yeah people's are people's yeah sure let's call them people are um <laughs> disallowed from working is because they're supposed to be in school all the time 
and uh, that that is relatively new. The first mandatory schooling law was in 1852, and it required people between 8 and 14 to attend school at least three months a year, unless they could demonstrate that they were already knew the relevant material. That would have been excellent. Yeah. Uh, in school, like I really should have been. I don't know. I was pissed off that they took away the gifted program because I I went to school and I knew everything that they were teaching me for so long. Mm-hmm. I had already like parents had taught me basic arithmetic and I read adult level books at it, you know, and it was just like you had to sit there staring at the clock like, oh my god, are we really like <laughs> yeah. going to do three plus three right now? Like <laughs> teachers wouldn't even let you quietly read a book. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you're not paying attention, me. If and I could have tested out, uh, you know, the stuff that I learned, I could have like like blown through school. That was the thing I hated school. It was like just being, you know. I mean, I can see the arguments for it was basic, just jailing. Yeah, <laughs> basic functional skills that massively increase human capital, like literacy. They don't even teach a lot of those. Like, I'm also no, pissed off most about of the time places taking homec yeah. out, out of the curriculum entirely. Where it was like, I remember that in homec, I actually had one. Um, one of the schools that like didn't get rid of their home ec program they downscaled it a lot and they made it an elective but i learned to balance a checkbook like cook a bunch of different meals uh so like and then like i also had learned a lot of stuff just because my i don't know my parents my dad's a carpenter so i knew how to like fix shit and whatever it's just Mm -hmm. like i that was another thing yeah they had shop class as an elective and i remember finding it hilariously like this is baby's first woodworking, and I was like, <laughs> "Come on, I my dad lets me use a jigsaw." <laughs> like, like yeah. we're gonna make a candle holder. You're not gonna find any argument for me that school sucks. I think that uh, if there's a big section on that that isn't like original material, we can probably abridge it. It's um, basically all the stuff we've said before. Yeah, I mean, school school sucks. You know, I. But everything about lights. school sucks. Yeah, but everything <laughs> about school sucks applies to everything else about how we restrict young people. It's. I, you shouldn't have a special carve out just for school sucks, but then be like, oh, but we have to treat them like infants, infants in all other respects. I feel like you could fix school and not fix any of those other problems and vice versa. So I think they are distinct. Oh, well, not all the other problems. You couldn't like let them, you know, start working full time and uh, not fix school. Right. But uh, no, you there, there's, there's some I mean, overlap. Uh, you would have to make school not mandatory anymore. Right. But I imagine a lot of people would quickly abandon school and go to work if they had that option because a lot of school is shit and working is actually valuable. Yeah, totally. And like you mentioned too, I, I, it would maybe force the schools to become better. I always thought school was basically just working and not getting paid. Like you, you know, are working. Uh, but it's not valuable work. It's like well, dig yeah, a ditch and fill it back they up. Called it, like, yeah. uh, and then like, it's actually fucked up because you're in school 40 hours a week. Right. Mm-hmm. Basically. And yeah. then, but then you also have homework. <laughs> One of his major complaints about school is that it also nowadays uh, restricts, uh, it stratifies kids by age. Mm-hmm. So they, oh, yeah. they don't have that interaction with, with adults. Yeah. He's, throughout history, people have learned from people that are older than them teaching them things. And even in the early schoolhouses, that was the case. It was one big classroom. And the kids of various ages taught each other. And uh, now you're only allowed to interact for the most part, most of your day with other kids your age, which he says is absolutely horrible. That's not how humans learn. Once upon a time, I was gifted or was able to, to pass as gifted at math. <laughs> and in sixth grade, so my schools went uh, K through six, seven through nine, and then 10 through 12. I think middle school is, we had junior high and high school. So middle school breaks that up somehow differently. Um I think it's six to eight or something. In any case, uh, yeah, I think that's right. 
in sixth grade, I was being bused in the morning to the junior high for math, um, which I think I quickly stopped doing because I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> Because it turned out that, A, this was harder than I thought, and B, just not hey, fun. Hey, autonomy. Yeah. You, were, you made a mistake. You learned from it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, again, we, we could we could sit here uh, patting each other on the back all day about, <laughs> about how bad school is. But, yeah, that, that's definitely a problem, right? Um, I, I know kids who, you know, the teachers struggled to find things for them to do, and they at least tried. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, all right, cool. Uh, everybody do this, except for you two. You guys do the hard shit because you guys clearly demonstrated mastery over the stuff that the rest of the class is doing. I don't think that happens that much. It didn't happen that much in my childhood, and I I've suspect it happens that. less now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it happened a couple of times, and I think it was valuable for the kids who, who did really well at it, um, you know, because they were able to take advanced, and one, I, I'm thinking at least of two other people, two people doing math, um, they were able to take advanced math courses, you know, for third grade, it, you know, whatever the advanced version of that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I found all that beneficial. Yeah, and I suspect the labor thing... You know, I I still have my my minimum wage thing that I I ideologically like, but probably can't economically defend. Well, oh, one uh, of the what's your one of the things that the minimum wage does is makes it impossible for young people to work because their labor often isn't worth the minimum wage. When I went to work with my dad at eight and nine years old, he paid me I think a dollar an hour initially and bumped it up to a buck fifty or two once I started learning some things. But yeah, when I first went, I was like handing him tools and stuff. You can't employ someone at $15 an hour to like watch you and hand you tools and maybe sand some wood here and there. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that that changes at some point when it's jobs that only adults are allowed to do. And it's like, sorry, yeah, you must be 18 to do this job, but we're only going to pay you 7 bucks an hour. Why would you so, ever restrict job to be only for someone who's 18? I'm not saying I would. I'm saying oh, okay. that today you the shouldn't. world does. That's okay. Um you know, like, you know, other than, again, to some level of experience being mandatory, you know, even if you have 10 years experience because you started when you were five, I still don't want you wiring my house. Like, and that might be me just being a bigot towards children or, excuse me, teens. But I think like, if you can do surgery at 15, there's some people that have had enough experience by the time they're 15 to wire a house correctly. I think if I got the choice, I wouldn't want a 15-year-old doing my surgery either. <laughs> um, but that's just, you know, again, that that, that could be society having told me that children are incompetent and that i classify teens as children i actually uh, like decided i wanted to have kids when i was working at the library because i, I had actually like sort of been brainwashed into thinking that kids were incompetent and annoying and boring and i had like few examples of real kids and the kids at the library that i worked at though that, that was sort of what i was saying earlier about like if a terrorist came into the library there, there were kids that i would have given it like a gun to fight back with yeah. first before some of the adults the thing is and i totally trusted them like I, more than the adults yeah. <laughs> to make the right decisions i i don't yeah that's that's the thing some kids are better than adults in some aspects and adults are worse i mean your intuition about not wanting to be a surgeon on surgeon on surgerized by a 15 year old is a pretty decent intu- intuition for our society where we do infantilize children up until sorry people up until they're 18 but uh in a society that didn't do that you probably wouldn't have that prejudice because there would be competent 15 year olds i would also just want somebody who's done it a thousand times mm. and that there is a causal link between how long you've been doing something and how old you are yeah but so you could get a surgeon who's 26 28 years old fresh out of med school hasn't done any surgeries ever before as your surgeon and you don't know that just because he's 28, you don't know if he's done, you know, a hundred surgeries or none. Right. Totally. And, and I, in, in my particular example, I, I am the kind of person who would want information about my doctors. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for some reason, some people don't. Uh, is one of the surprising things I learned reading um, The Elephant in the Brain. Hmm. Uh, people will turn down information about their uh, their, prof- their medical professionals. They're trusting um, the system too much? I guess. Like, well, 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 they, Hansen, they wouldn't give this person a doctor's license if they didn't know how to doctor. So. Han- Hansen argues that it's because they don't really think it does anything. They're just signaling. Uh, you know, I but know. I don't know if that's true of... I don't think he'd make that case about, like, you know, getting your appendix removed because it's exploding, but he'd make that case about uh, some trivial, more trivial medicine. In any case, um, like I said, minimum wage aside for uh, um, legal adults, uh, I do see the benefit of bringing kids along to work, um, kids and teens, uh, and, again, not having to pay them as much. Um, Part of me sees that as exploitable and where, you know, you might just bring on kids teens sorry we have to keep you know putting asterisks asterisks next to everything you might bring on teens to do work that teens probably aren't good at because they they can pay them less mm-hmm. i can see there being a perverse incentive there like you know you, you need some level of of other, employer, of, of other enforcement as but. an employer if you have employees that can't do the job you're really bad at um doing whatever you're trying to do unless like, you need competent employees unless you're just cutting corners and trying to make money you know like if a 50 if you if you don't really I, I, again i can get i can think of contrived examples um i don't think it's you're, worth worth generating them but i, I mean unless there's actual corruption in the system you're not going to stay in business long if you if your employees can't do the job can't and can't do it well are different um you know a lot of people do, don't care if the person could do it well but they want someone who will just come in and do it yeah if your and customer that, that's why doesn't when care it, if the work is shoddy then Sure. Hire a cheaper contractor that uh, does crappier work. Well, like Colorado's been raising minimum wage for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing 12-something now and we're on track to do 15 in a couple of years. I suppose. Um, I don't know. What... That'd be nice. I looked this up in the last few months because okay. I was surprised. Because uh, was... back when I was working, it was, you know, even just a few years ago when I was working, when I was working jobs that paid minimum wage, it was seven fifty. Yeah, um, I so... made $3 an hour at my first, second job. Wow. Uh, How did that, that was... happen? Was it an internship or something? No, that was a restaurant. Oh, right. They're allowed to pay lower. Yeah. The, wage, the idea know. was like, but you get tips, but you never got enough tips that it made up for it. Okay. Yeah. So like, that's one of the things where the establishment doesn't care if you're, you know, th- th- it is syst- systemically, you know, geared against you. Mm-hmm. So I could see them bringing on children to work there, children and teens, just for the sake of having to pay their employees less. But it turns out when you pay them more, uh, they are they... happier, more attentive, and you get better retention. Well, and that's think... just something that's happening in Colorado. Yeah. Because now I don't need two jobs. Right. And, you know, I, I can I can actually afford to eat and pay my electric bill. You know, it I also think that would be good for the teens. They're learning the job and gaining experience so that, you know, when they turn sixteen, seventeen, they can move on to a better job where they're paid more because they've been doing whatever for a couple of years already. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, like I said, I was just saying that it's, it's not impossible that someone could fuck that up, but that's not, that's, that's me grasping for a, a, a gripe. Um, overall, it like, I, um, sorry, you were still talking. Oh no, I was going to say overall, I think it sounds like a fine idea. Um, yeah, a, a, the thing that, um, would be tricky uh, about labor, I think is like that they're trying to prevent exploitation of children, which I don't know how you can, how how to fix this really in a way that would let kids who want to work work, but not have like you know there's kids whose parents force them to work because they need to bring in an income but they don't want to like there's kids that are forced to drop out of school and go help their parents and it's like that's kind of i mean the most uh the easiest fix would be you can't actually be employed until you have passed one of these competency tests 
That yeah, way, but kids I mean, who are competent at 13 is... can work, and the kids who aren't competent enough can't be forced by their parents to work because the law won't let you work if you haven't passed that test. Um, like, let's, my... say, let's say you pass the test, and you're allowed to... My concern is that a parent could force their kid to work if they don't want to. But they couldn't if they can't pass the competency test. Say they're competent, but the parent forces them to work. That, I think that's, that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Well, at that yeah. point, then they can keep their own wages and move out since they've passed the competency test. Maybe you don't want to work 50 hours a week to be able to afford your own apartment. Yeah, I guess you know. being able to emancipate yourself does... Yeah. It gives you a kind of freedom. It's the freedom like, hey, yeah, you can go live a shit life with, you know, uh, bad amenities and no, you know, whatever, air conditioning or, or heating. But the, because... the thing you're pr- proposing is better than being subject to slave labor for shit parents, right? Like, if you're in this situation, it's already because your parents are shit lords and you're kind of fucked. Yeah, solving the problem of shitty parents is going to be harder than rewriting the laws around letting kids work. I think it's just a... I don't know. They they clearly... They put that into place. The the woman who started all those organizations um, that look out for the welfare of children. Adams? Uh, Well, that was her last name. Yeah, I mean... uh, that was that was a good thing to do, and it was important. Um, there were kids working in factories, like getting injured and mm-hmm. <laughs> being abused, and some of it, some of those kids might have like wanted to work there though, and like some of them would have probably rather gone to school. Uh, it's just the it, it was at least one way to prevent kids from you know yeah. being exploited was to just be like no kids can work. It's it's an easier solution, you know. Like you mentioned that that yeah. nine year old Mexican entrepreneur or whatever, right? Like, and, and also, I don't know if that if that kid was allowed to spend his money on Xbox games or or if it was like, sorry, no, that all goes to the family because we need it. Well, it right? was his money that he had earned, but his family needed it, which was why he used it to buy food for his family. Sure, his money that he earned, but unless he can open a bank account, then you know his parents are strong enough to physically wrest it from him. Sure, right? I know I have friends, and I, yeah, I've had friends who who grew up their parents made them work and took their paycheck yeah so like the, i mean again it would be hard to solve the problem of shit parents so i'm willing to yeah. kind of just set that aside <laughs> but but it is a, a, a i think a plausible reason for why some of these things came to be in the first place because it's like yeah sorry you could go to school and have prospects or you can go make 50 cents an hour working in the mines and the really small holes because you're eight and I can have enough, I can have more money for whatever, right? Also, all the initial child labor laws targeted either 12 or 13 as the age. And it was pushed up after that, which is less objectionable, in my opinion. Even though there are still prodigious 12-year-olds that might be getting fucked by this, the fact that it's been pushed up as high as it has is where we start getting crazy stupid land. There will always be some, you know, exception at the very end of the bell curve, right? Mm-hmm. Where it happens to be at six, you're someone's actually building a particle accelerator in their garage, right? Well, which, so, which is why we shouldn't have the age limitations. We should have competency limitations. Yeah, but I, I think I do think that if you're going to go broad strokes, then, you know, if you're only fucking over 0.1% of people, it's a lot better than fucking over 60% of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just have to make a better system than what we currently have. We're yeah. Trying to... Any other stuff on labor? Now we uh, can move on. I'm, I'm um, curious. Well, actually, you know, I thought that... I thought it was fascinating the the part about the economic incentives for driving kids out of the workforce. Yeah. Um it strikes me that also women would have entered the workforce um when, when did they enter in mass World War 1? Uh, World War 2, I believe. World was War the II. big major yeah. influx. So like with the limited number of jobs and people competing for them it was also just 
strategically advantageous to older people to organize. And it even said in the book, like, teens can't really effectively organize to advocate for themselves because, what was it? Uh, they don't stay teens very long. It was like, a, it's a temporary Temporary condition. Category. Yeah. It's a temporary condition. I think that's how they said it, yeah. But, uh, yeah, unlike, you know, women not being allowed to work where you're stuck being a woman, you know, in 1945 your whole life, yeah. where you can actually, like, make a decades-long movement up behind it that you can stay part of. You can't be part of a 10-year movement where you're advocating for yeah. teens as a teenager. Well, you can't. All right. I, I, I hope to be more involved in this movement so you can't stay in it, but it's not like you're forced to because you're a teenager. You're not fighting from the inside, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, as as to your your point about the using it to restrict competition, the, the he pulled out one example in 1999, uh, a 45 million dollar construction project in California was shut down by a judge after a carpenters union went after uh, a construction boss for bringing his 12 year old son around to operate a forklift, and it was very much a he's coming in helping his dad on the weekend kind of thing, uh, but that that particular firm was a non union firm, and so these. This union had been after them for quite a while, and this was what they got to shut him down with, that his son was allowed to operate a forklift. And it's it's been used a lot by labor unions and by other employers to, yeah, to restrict the, the labor supply. Wait, unions were the baddies here? Yeah. I, I know several people who would be like, Pikachu face? Why are you shocked? <laughs> but, uh, but yes, they... they the, the point of a labor union is to protect the jobs of its members, which is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Yeah, I think that's the most succinct way to put it. Um, the, should I move on to the next topic? Yeah. Okay, this next topic we probably don't have to talk about very much because just last week we did a whole episode on it. But it's specifically about love slash sex, which is, you know, very important, I think would be an understatement to teenagers. And is not something that is allowed them at all. That uh, there's some allowances made for teenagers fooling around with each other. But even then, it's considered not a serious relationship. It's called, like, puppy love. And uh, and it's something that they're just get o- they're expected to get over it and go on to something else as, as they get older. And uh, it, it, the point he makes is that implicit in the laws uh, outla- outlawing sexuality for, for young people... It's the assumption that all young people are incapable of experiencing the same kinds of loving feelings that adults do, and that no young people are capable of engaging in sexual activities responsibly. I'm curious about why it matters that people call it puppy love and that they're expected to move on from it. Like Because he says it's demeaning to um, treat people who are physiologically mature as basically no more mature than animals. I guess. I mean, I've heard... I mean, I... I sort of feel like people give that same advice to 30-year-olds. You know, like, oh, you were just infatuated with that person, but, you know, they sucked, and you should move on with your life. I think it's the equality thing. I mean, when you were describing that, I was kind of thinking, I don't know, I think it's funny that they're like, oh, teenagers shouldn't be allowed to have sex because they're just gonna, you know, at least you're gonna break up anyway. Uh, But, like... I'm like, yeah, but it's all most marriages. Yeah. <laughs> don't more marriages end in divorce now? Or something like 40%? 50%. 50%. Okay. In America, yeah. And like, I don't know. It's like, if you're going to make that criticism about teens, you should be making it about adults too. Like, oh, well, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And they, you know, we should be allowed to get married yeah. if, it, <laughs> if they're not mature enough. It's like He also says that um, teenage relationships are already handicapped by the system. 
they do move in and out of relationships extremely fast, but he points out, we make it difficult or impossible for young people to marry. We isolate them from potentially more mature, more settled partners. We loudly dismiss their feelings as half-baked. We corral large groups of young people, often against their will, into crowded pens for nine or ten months a year. <laughs> it shouldn't be surprised that they shift partners. A surprise that they shift partners frequently. This is the this is the loaded language of somebody with an axe to grind. <laughs> but also, you can't be at you can't. I can't believe that you, Inyash, are advocating that we let children get married. <laughs> so my take on this is that no one should get married <laughs> so, but if we're going to have marriage as a thing that people can do any person uh should be able to do it and young adults count as people young people count as people it's weird i'm glad that i wasn't allowed to marry my high school sweetheart i am very upset that i was allowed to marry the very first person who showed interest at me when i was 19 uh so I guess we're on opposite ends of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... It sounds like a confidence thing. Yes. Uh, I don't know. This is something where I'm like, I don't know how exactly you would test the competence of like somebody's ability to have a, a healthy romantic relationship. But I mean, I know I was incompetent because, I mean, I bought into this for a lot of reasons. And one of them was that I was a nerd who didn't who didn't think I would ever be able to be attractive to a mate. But I was told with from by not only my parents but my religion every all the people who had influence on me in my early life that uh you don't date until you're ready to get married because the whole point of dating is to find a mate and when you find a mate you get married and since you ain't getting married before you're 18 you ain't dating before you're 18 so i had almost no experience with any yeah. sort of intimacy uh before then and yeah i was i don't think i was competent to make that decision at that point and maybe i would have been if uh, i hadn't been so restricted from doing those things but again i don't know if i would have anyway just because i was kind of i was late to mature sexually i think i think many people can relate to like because you were barred from your parents because again solving the problem of, of, of yeah, rough parents there was makes a it hard. lot of things my parents barred me for which i did anyway like i could have rebelled and secretly dated someone if i really wanted to yeah i guess i'm just thinking like i think a lot of people had the experience of you know getting their first crush their first date their first true love of what they thought it was mm -hmm. and then you know their first heartbreak and then only later in life realizing like oh that wasn't real love that that was me learning what it's like to have feelings for somebody but like i'm not i'm not saying that's everybody yeah. i'm mm -hmm. i am saying that's me i i um, agree with you i mean so part of the problem is that like he says, we're stuck in a corral with our peers and our role models are other people who are just as stupid and inexperienced as us. Like in a society where kids interacted more with adults, they would have better role models for these things and might even be able to find a partner who's had some more experience and knows a few things being like, okay, kid, you know, slow down. This isn't, this isn't quite, um, this is not the ultimate true love for everything that you, you might be thinking it is. Let's not rush into getting married right now. Like one of the tragedies of Romeo and Juliet is that they're fucking 13 and 14 and don't know shit about anything yet. And they, if they had fit their, um, their society's model of what a relationship should be like, they probably wouldn't have been dating each other. Cause you're usually considered, um, too young to be dating someone your own age at that time. Yeah. I mean, there's also it was much more, I guess it was much more common for people to have, a more of a year age gap back then. Well, and just the fact too that they were, I think in Romeo and Juliet, part of the point is that they're both politely stupid kids. Yes, yes, they are. And so you uh, know, wasn't Romeo twenty one and Juliet like seventeen? No, that was usually Hollywood adaptations are a lot around that 
period because they're uh they're they're aging them up to uh-huh. make it acceptable more for modern audiences yeah. yeah but i believe juliet either romeo or juliet specifically were named uh and the other one was uh, assumed to be about a year from the the first one so it was either juliet was named as 13 or romeo was named as 14 within the play itself yeah i i want to look this up okay uh I think we talked about that one last episode. I don't have much new to on offer there. Yeah. I did think if you guys of, want to know about this, we got a whole episode. Just go yeah. back one. I did think of like a rejoinder on the drive home. Oh, go like, for it. Well, like, because we were talking, I was thinking like if I was 15 and some 30 something year old woman wanted to have sex with me mm. and you were like, well, I, you know, there's, there's probably a chance that you simply wouldn't have, you know, if you're given the opportunity, I'm like, no, I think I might have. Mm. And in my head, I wish I had said, I was like, oh yeah, you know, if you really didn't want to, your body has ways of shutting that whole thing down. <laughs> is was, is what was what you sounded like you were saying. I knew it wasn't what you were saying, but it would have been funny. And in I missed so- that opportunity to make that quip. In our society, if a 36 year old woman wants to have sex with you, 15 year old Steven, it's going to be in secret. It's going to be a thing that's usually um, not very healthy. Whereas in a more mixed society, you would have peers around both you and her that sees the relationship and, you know, vouch for like, this woman's not trying to take advantage of this little boy. Yeah. Or be like, (laughs) Hey, the kid's a bit too young for you. You know, that, that kind of thing, like depending on how things are having things um, socially open like that is a huge, uh, huge break check. By the way, uh, just looked it up. It says that Romeo was never explicitly given an age, okay. but Juliet was 13. Okay. And I, yeah. And Romeo was always assumed to be within a year or so of her based on things in the play. I don't know from what I've heard. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, we were talking too, and this didn't come up in the last episode. You know, I guess the answer would just be abortions, but like, you know, there is a, I didn't put it in here because it's pretty quick, but there is also a section on abortions where he says, Anyone who is competent uh, should be able to get an abortion at any time without needing to go to their parents or get a special order from a judge or something. I would carve out an exception that you don't even have to be competent to get an abortion because you can yeah. become you can become pregnant before you're competent. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I but like you know Charlie gave like an example of like what happens if you have a, a romantic experience you don't like and somewhat sarcastically she said like oh no I regret it this is the end of the world and it's like yeah but for some people it's worse. You know, now you're knocked up yeah. and, you know, like th- they're or, you know, as a 13 year old or something, you're not aware of all the wang shriveling sex diseases that are out there. And now you've you've whatever it's the wang shriveling. That's the bad part. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, like, th- there are lifelong consequences that can happen that you just may not be informed of because you're a child uh, or a or a youngster. Yeah. Um, he does cover that in the section on competency that people know the consequences of sex before they're considered competent. I did sort to, of want to consent. Sorry, uh, I feel kind of bad. Um, last episode that we did, where how did this go exactly? It was Charlie saying um, that sh- she had like basically gone through all the stuff she had gone through and and come out of it okay. And I was like trying to say, like, you seem to be more mature. Like, mm-hmm. it, like just like it, it, uh, there are definitely like there are definitely lots of people that get traumatized from sexual experiences like that can happen that there can be really bad ptsd and consequences uh i didn't like mean to imply that that doesn't happen that we should not care about that i guess i don't know if i came off as as saying that uh i just wanted to clarify though that like no but actually like yeah also ptsd can happen and so like i don't think that we downplayed it too much but we didn't talk about it enough that yeah i mean you know there there are and maybe it's because our culture 
has sex on a pedestal that's a thousand feet tall but Mm -hmm. like there are special kinds of of um i even trauma might it's definitely the right word but like more broadly just you know uh reactions of violations that can happen Mm -hmm. in that context that don't happen with getting punched in the face right Mm -hmm. um it's there's something and maybe again maybe it's just because you know my mind is brainwashed from how we viewed sex or something but like i would i eh, i don't want to get too much into all that stuff but i i I will just say that i think that there there can be kind of special kinds of of ways that that can suck that other things don't suck okay but but we'll push past all that because we talked about sex for two hours last time. So Real quick, before we push past it, this is something I should have said last time and neglected to, so I'll go ahead and say it right now. Uh, despite the fact that I think socially we should change our, our attitudes about, well, young people in general, um, I don't think anyone in the U.S. should have sex with a minor if they're outside that age range, despite how much I think it's not necessarily a bad thing because of our um, laws specifically. There was uh, Yassim from the uh, the Bailey podcast is a criminal defense lawyer, and he said in his podcast that he legitimately does not think suicide is an overreaction to getting put on a sexual predator list, uh, even if it's you know with a consenting person and you love each other and all the parents your society is good with it. If you get on one of those sexual predator lists, your life is basically over. Uh, so don't oh, yeah, do didn't that. Even bring that up. Yeah, it's it's not a risk worth take worth taking until we can fix society. I don't even know how to fix society at that point. We need to change people's attitudes about sex. (laughs) Fortunately, at the end of this, there's a couple organizations that I can name. Oh, Um, yeah. But we haven't gotten quite that far yet. Pushing on then? Sure. Okay. uh, Shall we move on to the actual competencies and how to implement this sort of thing? Or did you want to touch on the teen brain thing real quick before we did that? You know what? Let's do the teen brain thing real quick since it's related to this. Very much related to this. Sure. Okay. Um... One of the interesting things that he pointed out is that research, tons of research, he links a lot of things, unequivocally show that cognitive abilities of teens are, on average, superior to cognitive abilities of adults. Citation not provided. <laughs> well, not in my notes here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all the metrics in, of brain performance tend to top out around 17, 18, and then slowly decline from there. And he says that by the time adults are uh, in their 80s, they usually have roughly the same mental functioning as uh, a child in between the age of six and eight, just in terms of how their brain, how quickly and how well the brain works. And he does, you know, make the, uh, give the proviso that a lot of things come down to experience and the knowledge you have accumulated, which is why adults can often be much more, um, much more competent, much more um, able to do things that take a lot of intelligence because they already have all this stored up knowledge and experience in them. Yeah, but they in, have that crystallized intelligence. Yes. But in terms of pure functionality, the brain is at its peak uh, in the late teens and only goes downhill from there, which made me very sad because it means I'm stupider. <laughs> I've also heard things that contradict this, so I'm a little puzzled. Okay. Um, I do agree that oh, I, I've seen pretty clear evidence that there are children who are as intelligent as adults mm-hmm. uh and that in general i don't know I, I keep thinking of the library again where it was like there there was this huge tech gap that was it was kind of hilarious um where like you know the, the adults would come in for free tech support for their stuff all the time and i just was like baffled at the amount that people couldn't use like like they, they didn't have basic problem solving skills there were just some like pretty 
dumb adults in there and there were like mm-hmm. there were kids that could take your laptop apart and put it back together mm-hmm. <laughs> and um a lot of that is just sort of the kids like pick stuff up faster like we were talking about the kids teaching themselves to program by like being handed an ipad and like here have fun <laughs> he does cite a thing that shows that it's much harder to acquire yeah new like, skills after the age of 30 i, I disagree with again or, as a general not necessarily an age cutoff or rather um i mean there's actual facts to be had here and i could be wrong but like my understanding though is that the brain doesn't necessarily get worse as you age yeah, I think you stop making new connections as fast. That's because you've already made connections. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it, and this is, and a lot of pruning is, a lot of learning is pruning in connections if, that if aren't useful. If you keep being a lifelong learner, like there's, there's people that are completely cognitively sharp in like their 70s, 80s, etc. And like, I, uh, I don't know that there's like the stereotype about old people being bad with technology, which actually used to really piss off somebody from my uh, Philly less wrong group. It was an older person and like, had a computer and a cell phone and like knew what apps were and like mm. it's like i hate that stereotype about and i was just like well you haven't seen the majority of old people they just <laughs> they don't even try to learn how to use this thing there were people I that would come that's... in the library repeatedly asking me to log them into like an account of theirs yeah. and i was like this is easy i could teach you to do this it's a few steps i think part like, of the... ah, nah, but you can do it for me i think part of the problem is the don't even try thing and he does state that we tend to discourage people from being lifelong learners and more like you cram in all the learning up to 18, whether you're ready for it or not at that age, whether you want to be doing it or not. And then after 18, you stop learning as opposed to people should be learning and working all throughout their most yeah. pubescent lives. Compulsory learning for the whole life. I like it. Not necessarily <laughs> compulsory, but he there, there is a section where he says, uh, the in, back in the schooling section, uh, the way that we have mandatory schooling that uh, fucks people up on schooling often gives people both a lifelong, maybe fear, maybe hatred, aversion, I guess, an aversion to learning due to the compulsory experiences of being cooped up in pr- school prisons for, for so many years. Learning wasn't fun. Yes, yeah. learning was literally a way that you were tortured. I've, I've had to uh, basically plant the seeds of... of- joy of science and my wife since we've we've been together for like 10 years but you know enough bad science teachers through junior high and she just never developed an enjoyment of the subject mm-hmm. and i'm like no but it's actually really cool you said shit teachers yeah. and it took a while for that for that to stick i um, hated math uh and a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that i was actually bullied by a math teacher in third grade oh. <laughs> which is just wild this, yeah. this teacher would bully kids to i guess like those people shouldn't have teaching jobs. They're like Snape. Why are you with children when you hate children? Snape at least had a good reason. Did he? Yeah. I mean, like he could have been groundskeeper, sort of. I guess, or whatever. But like, <laughs> but but he he was there for for cover for you know for a war effort. Okay. I, I'm way more sympathetic of Snape than I am of half the teachers I had in elementary school. Right. Yeah. Um, they I did weren't have a couple, secret spies. Yeah. I do, I do have a couple like things to pull out here. One, I I I am. I do want to see this unequivocal research that cogn- that the cognitive abilities of teens are, on average, superior to the cognitive abilities of, adult- of adults. And again, I, by cognitive abilities, he means like the the firing of neurons and making new connections, that kind of thing. Well, then then that's a very specific use of cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, as a 10-year-old, I could pick up a new video game way faster than my grandma could because mm-hmm. she'd never held a video game controller before. Mm-hmm. It's right? easier to pick up languages when you're young, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, there's learning modes that your brain like snaps into. Yeah, he does. If you the- pass those... It's kind of like your brain kind of evolves for different or metamorphoses for different purposes as you age, yeah. where you you as you get more stability uh, 
you get better ability to like regulate emotions and much lower anxiety and depression when people are older yeah. but you're also uh less less able to you know bend in the wind i guess he one of the things less flexible he, he tends to really have a a dislike a visceral dislike of the term teen brain because of the thing that you brought up he said our brains keep changing all throughout our lives it's it's a, an ongoing process and there's a lot of things that we do which change our brain like i mean on the simplest example any kind of learning is literally changing your brain and and he says yeah things like meditating reading having sex anything that that affects your mind changes your brain a bit and that brains do change all throughout your life so calling a teen brain specifically uh this this terrible time in life because you don't have a frontal cortex is bullshit it's developing just like every other part of your brain and body are yeah and like the the ways that teen brains are different from adult brains are adaptive not like a byproduct of the process not because it's not fully formed yet yeah if my if my grandma has a lower like um mental acuity or mental speed score than i do she compensates for it with a higher wisdom and and again (laughs) intelligence is 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 a tough word there dexterity right but (laughs) but but that's true right so like and I, I would I would have to sit, I would have to sit and figure something out and just like oh I remember that from fifty years ago yeah, right yeah so it and he know, calls that out yeah I, I have two more quick things to pull out on that about the cognitive the teen brain cognitive ability stuff because we talked about incompetent technological adults and stuff um, we were talking about learned helplessness earlier mm-hmm. and it's remarkable how often you see that with with some people even in their fifties with cell phones and shit right mm. blows my mind yep. um, so you don't have to be a tortured child to have learned helplessness you you are just for whatever reason, don't feel like learning how to use your phone, and then you therefore never do. But uh, I remembered in, I don't know, primary school at some point, you know, we're talking about technological advancement or something, and if, if maybe this is less of a problem now than it was then, although I suspect it's not, because my wife still works with people who don't know how to use their fucking computers. Um, you know, when they all retire, the next generation of people who come in will know how to use their computer and send, you know, uh, email a PDF, right? And I had, like, um, researcher co-workers who had sort of that adult-itis around technology too i was like how how do you have a neuroscience like bachelor's but you can't figure out how to do this email thing <laughs> you know like yeah if you, if you can't grab an attachment from an email and print it then like how are you how do you have a job here yeah. but i remembered i had a teacher who was i think defending their inability to handle the computer properly or something and they're like oh yeah it's just all been changing so fast you guys will all be there when you guys get to be our age and even at my young age i was like no we won't we, we have been on the cusp of fast-moving technology our whole lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I picked up a, a video game controller when I was, you know, six or ten or something and have picked one, picked one up every year since then. Mm-hmm. You know, put on a VR headset a few years after they came out. Like, we're, I don't think that that's, like, an inevitability like people of this generation talked about. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was going to drive that home somehow to this point, but maybe it was just about the mental acuity stuff. No, there's but, something there that yeah. I feel like... Anyway... Yeah, um, whatever. (laughs) He does also specifically call out the, what is it, Jurgelin Todd research, which I guess is the the study which popularized the term teen brain because they used it, I suppose. Um, But he said that their research, nor the research of anyone else that I'm aware of, provides the scientific evidence needed to support the claims made in their article. So he, he, he specifically says that they are overreaching and their claims are not supported by their own evidence. So uh, that is that is something I can't get into because I haven't read any of them. Basically, they were... Th- they were the ones that were saying that, that teen were brains are 
yeah that uh, they informed have, and yeah that, that they don't have a frontal cortex that's yeah and that's why they can't make decisions or delay gratification or whatever and yeah that that was basically just a straight out you i don't believe your numbers are correct sir call out and i'll have to like i said check this guy's numbers because again research unequivocally proves and i'm like you show me social science that unequivocally proves anything <laughs> <laughs> that's fair but this is a like persuasive book though right this isn't right a science book he's citing stuff to support his point but bringing it home now with proposed changes i guess we can skip over the competency part i'd be curious about different ways that i don't know if there were novel ways that people proposed to uh measure competency there there like you can give a iq test and you can get you know someone's intelligence but like what about there actually are uh competency tests that are suggested in here there's one specifically called the epstein dumas something test which i guess he developed in combination with someone else uh and you can test yourself sort of a little at home test which is not quite as yeah it's not quite (laughs) as uh rigorous i guess but it's at the in the first appendix in the book called how adult are you (laughs) i probably am very adult in some areas and sort of still at child level competency that's what he says actually (laughs) that there's you know a wide variety and you can be competent in some areas and not others and so uh we should give people more rights in some areas and not others uh, his main thesis is that all the laws assume all young people are the same and all adults are the same as well. And stay the same. Uh-huh. And uh, that this is a bad assumption and shouldn't be based on age anyway. And so he has these uh, proposed changes that he makes. Uh, the primary one being, as I said, we should give people uh, more rights over time as they pass competency tests rather than due to passing a number of days alive test. I would like to be given a competency test judging whether or not I can make my own medical decisions. Yeah, I, that was, you know, I if we get time for like a fast cue and, you know, uh, rapid fire thing at the end, I want to do that. Mm. Um, so that you can like choose your own drugs that you want to take? Yes. Yeah. That's basically the banned goods store again. Yeah. That was one of the things I liked about Mexico. At their pharmacies, you just go and order your drugs you want and they're like, here you go. At the kiosk at the airport, you get to do that. Nice. Yeah, coming back from Cancun for our honeymoon, I mean, you could buy probably not the great stuff, but there was um, Tramadol, Viagra, a handful of other things. And I was like, well, I would would just buy this, but I'm not going to, you know, have them take it away from me in customs when I get back to the U.S. Yeah, the assumption is if you're old enough to know the drugs that you want to be slash should be taking, then you're old enough to buy them. I sort of want there to be a competency test there, too. Uh, I do agree that, like... When it comes to the banned goods store, if you can measure, and I think they, there's model measurements of this, like the expected utility of having the banned goods store versus not, it's going to weigh in favor of having the banned goods store. But then, like the main reason people want things to be banned is to protect people from themselves. Yeah. But you could also just have like, okay, you can go in the banned goods store, but you have to take a competency test to show that you know what drugs you're buying and that you're aware of its side effects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's not super on topic. Just it's it's, it's not, interesting how it keeps coming up, though. Yeah, it's not far off topic. I mean, I I do have uh, knee jerk reservations about competence, like a generic competency test, just because like you know they they used to have that for voting, mm-hmm. and it just turned out that black people never passed this test. Right. Right. So like it's I I I don't know how you'd make it fair. Um. You know e- even uh. 
I, I think IQ tests are probably better now than they were 30 years ago. But even that had, you know, some cultural yeah, stuff in they're it. They're still not perfect. So yeah. That, that is, like, actually the, the fact that there are different racial IQs, at least in terms of, like, people from Africa tending to score really low on these IQ tests, uh, seems to be an artifact of just, like, these are people who've never taken, some of these people are people who've never taken a standardized test. Right. <laughs> and are just, like, they, they just don't know how to take tests, you know? Yeah, for me, I think the simplest explanation for the Flynn effect, where they have to recalibrate so that the mean score on an IQ test stays 100 every few years, is that people are just better test takers than they were, you know, hmm. a few years ago. It's, I um, hadn't considered that, but that's a possibility. Has IQ leveled out? I don't According know. According to the Flynn effect, it has. That's, uh... Because I, I... That they have to keep adjusting the IQ tests, so... Wasn't, wasn't the uh, main thing, though, something to do with either people getting more nutrition or getting less like lead <laughs> again that that would change the general iq and that would lead to the flint effect yeah Th those are both good candidates and the last time i heard about the flint effect was 15 years ago so like i have no idea if it Still is done thing. being a you know yeah. you know if they've if it has tapered off or not but um i would submit that at least part of it is that you know if, if i'm sitting down to take my first pen and paper test at 50 i'm probably going to suck at it even if i'm smart Whereas if I've been taking pen and paper tests four times a week since I was six, mm. uh, I'll probably do fine at it even if I'm dumb. Yeah, right? you know a lot of techniques and More general test-taking skills. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought out the, I. there's some places I think I'm competent and others I don't because he does think that uh, young people should be extended full adult rights and responsibilities. This is a thing that comes up often. I'm going to stop quoting him just for a second. Uh, throughout the uh, throughout the book, that it's not just about rights and freedoms; it's about the responsibilities that come with them, and those two together make for uh, competent people that can run their own lives. That it's you you once you have the ability yeah. to make these decisions for them yourself, you also face the consequences of getting them wrong. And that's motivating, though, in mm -hmm. a way that like that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know, having the artificially constrained choices. Yeah. Um, makes you just sort of not even want to try yeah yeah <laughs> and that's also again didn't harm didn't didn't hammer on this because we're going long as it is and uh we've been going on it for a while but that's also a big theme in the book so know that that is also in there if you decide to read it you will pick up on that as well the responsibility part is important because it it's not just about like they should be allowed to do whatever they want it's like they right. should be allowed to uh you know have the consequences of doing whatever they want. A large part of the thesis is basically the Spider-Man credo with great power comes great responsibility. And he's saying, you know, if you give people more responsibility, they will have more power in their own lives and vice versa. It, it goes together. Well, if you'd mentioned Spider-Man two hours ago, you'd have sold me earlier. No. Um, if you want more people to be Spider-Man. <laughs> I think also having a sense of self-efficacy um, is one of the things that'll push down on conditions like depression and anxiety. Oh, like, yeah. That they brought up the um statistic mm. of how many dr like mental health drugs are mm -hmm. being administered to teens now just so you can make it through these lives when you have nothing you I can wish do. i had, had antidepressants <laughs> yeah. when i was in high school i mean it's one way to deal with this constant learned helplessness and prisoning that you're in anyways uh young people should be extended full adult rights and responsibilities in each of a number of different areas as soon as they can demonstrate appropriate competence in each area uh, a young person of any age who can pass a state-approved adult competency test should be able, without court involvement, to receive a certificate of emancipation from the state. He leans towards young people achieving a score that is at least the 50th percentile for adults 18 and over, meaning that on each test, the applicant must score higher than half of adults currently do. 
which I think is entirely reasonable. Yeah. If you're more competent than half of the people over 18, what, why would we deny you of the, the, those rights? Because we want to control kids. Yes, exactly. That That is a big part of it. Well, at I some point... Saw... Good. I was going to say, wouldn't like that lead to 15 years down the road, people being very, very competent and the bar being raised really high for 14-year-olds? Um, yes. That maybe, would be a good thing. Yeah, that would be a great thing. And maybe um, eventually we might have to lower it to like the 40th percentile or something if we believe that it is barring too many people from getting rights. But uh, it is a great starting area. And yeah, I do think it would be a good thing if more people were more competent more early in life, earlier th- in life. I'd love to see uh, businesses run by teenagers. Yes. Like teenagers are more creative. They're like... Very driven. Yeah, they they're, they know like the latest cutting edge technology stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I, what was the part in uh, here where they said something about an obsession? Uh, yes, that prodigies prodigies. Um, usually, a prodigy prodigy is just a young person with an obsession and an opportunity. Yeah, that's the quote. It's a good bumper sticker. Yeah, I just I think that that type of thinking. I mean, I know I yeah. When I'm thinking back to like my teen years, it's like I, I that version of me. Uh, <laughs> Would have come up with much better business ideas than the version of me I am now. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. Um, there's a way that, like, I look at my old art sometimes and, like, my new art is technically better because I have more experience, but it's also, like, more boring. <laughs> I had, like, just a lot of ideas mm. uh, and drew lots of different things. I was way more motivated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd really love to see what kinds of, like, business ideas teens would come up with or... uh kids like releasing media you know like making uh, so like the, the, that brought to mind i was like oh there are kids making money on youtube mm-hmm. and i think other avenues uh in places where kids are allowed to excel yeah. they often do great he said that chess is one of the few places where we allow young people to compete against adults and uh they often do well some of them do extremely well because of that because there aren't artificial limitations put, placed on them we we mentioned this at the top and i know we're kind of wrapping up but like Again, it kind of devolved into like, you know, parents suck and can take away your computer. But assuming that you can solve that problem, um, you do get a lot of, you get immense freedom on, online. I mean, mm-hmm. you should have property rights at a certain age too. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, you know, even if you have property rights, but you can't afford a, you know, $800 computer. Yeah. Um, it's because you're only getting paid a buck an hour because your labor's worth shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, if you want to create stuff, you can create stuff. If you want to um, learn about a new subject, you can do that. Right. And so... The, the advent of everyone having a computer in their pocket, I think it changes the landscape a lot. And that wasn't quite the case in 2008. It was barely emerging. Part of the problem of not having an $800 computer when you're a kid is even if you have a great idea and motivation, literally no one will give you a loan because you cannot be held to any kind of contract. The right to be in a binding contract is important because then you can take out even an $800 loan for a computer so you can get started on your little thing that you want to do. Yeah. That's part of where it'd just be nice, you know, assuming your parents have 800 bucks that they could lend you money. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to get it from your parents in, under the current regime. But if you took one of these tests and were uh, emancipated enough to be able to sign contracts, you could go to a bank or some other place that gives out loans and take out an $800 loan and get started on your life. Yeah, I think then the concern would, I mean, just to bog that down while we're trying to not do that, is that your your skills are worth so little that you'd pay that back so slowly. But then again, 800 bucks isn't that much money. So exactly. you're not asking for $80,000, right? Yeah. Um, not like 17-year-olds going to school. Yeah. One main thing I like about the proposed changes here is how sane they seem to be. Yes. It's, so it's not like do away with mandatory schooling, do away with uh, li- labor laws and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, like 
let's just let's put just like people. sensible things on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not 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 saying get rid of mandatory schooling. It's saying let's let's cut down the hours and the time that you need to do it. Yeah. Um. You know, if if you if you can read, write, and balance a checkbook by by thirteen, great, you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some sensible thing there. Yeah. I think this extends uh, beyond just kids too. Um, for example, like the person in old folks' home, or maybe not even an old folks' home. There's there's definitely age discrimination on both sides in mm-hmm. hiring because of the stereotype that old people are bad at computers or you know slower or yeah less cognitively flexible can't learn things and anymore. that's true for some people i mean dementia alzheimer's do exist mm-hmm. or and some people also just like don't conti- they don't maintain their brain i guess mm-hmm. so you do see people decline if they're just not interested in reading or going outside or learning anything new but like that doesn't mean that all old people are going to be bad at the job either if they pass the competency test they should be allowed to you know be considered a candidate for a software engineer job or yeah. whatever the, yeah, he says that the incentives for young people to prepare for the test will be enormous because of all these rights that you get, but also responsibilities. And even if they don't pass all the tests, they still benefit from the process of preparation. And I remember, I think it was after our last episode on the Discord, someone was complaining about this idea of judging people based on competency. He was like, well, a really smart young kid could do really good on an IQ test or, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's, who's really smart can trick a psychologist into declaring them competent. And I said, you, mm-hmm. that's, that's literally the point. If you can convince a psychologist that you are mentally mature enough to, to have rights, then you're mentally mature enough to have rights. You yeah. have just demonstrated that. And if you can't trick them into that, then obviously you don't deserve those rights yet. So, I mean, sure, there could be uh, literally malicious uh, psychologists, like you were saying, trying to deny uh, rights to black people. But uh, yeah, it it seemed at that point the person was just trying to say, what if someone who's young is declared competent? That would be terrible. And I'm like, no, that's the whole point. I think, and I didn't read the exchange, but to steel man that, what if somebody who was young was declared competent when they actually weren't? You know, if there's a multiple choice test involved, there's some luck. You know, if you don't know, you just choose B mm-hmm. and you got a 25% chance of being right. So like you, you, you could squeak by while still being under the actual threshold to the, to the magic way that we've managed to measure this. Right. I like but an adult th- could do this too. But, yeah. but that's kind of like an, that's kind of like an owned risk. I'd be surprised if he doesn't call that out in the book be like, yeah, that could happen. But that's that, that there's no way that can't happen. Right. And if you know? you're doing better than 50% of adults, assuming that a portion of the adults got lucky that way too. Right. Yeah. That should take- I definitely have had like coworkers who sort of faked their way into the job. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I faked my way into every job I ever got. No, I mean like I- I've also faked my way into jobs in the sense of I've felt imposter syndrome about it. But like I'm talking about people who thought that they had the necessary skills and put it on their resume, and then like in the field they clearly didn't know what the hell they were doing, or they weren't very good at management or leading. Yeah. I love the. What's the opposite of an imposter? Uh, I, um, I can't think of the word for authentic? it. Authentic? Yeah. Authentic syndrome, maybe you could call this, where somebody thinks authentic they can actually syndrome. do it, but they can't. Yeah. I've worked with people like that, too. Isn't but. that just Dunning-Kruger? What we've been calling Dunning-Kruger? I, sort of. It's maybe. definitely related. Yeah. Sometimes it's just people just like, oh, yeah, no, I got this. And it's like, no, you don't got this. Where, for, <laughs> for the most part, people are like, oh, I can't do this. It's like, no, you actually can. Just take a deep breath. Um, I, I do like this, too. You know, any young person, no matter what his or her age, should be allowed to apply for any job. And it's just, yeah, if you can do it, you get paid for it. And if you can't, you don't. Mm-hmm. And you probably get paid to the extent that you're good at it. Yeah. 
It says if he or she can demonstrate appropriate competencies, he or she should be taken seriously as a candidate. If he or she performs poorly, he or she should be fired, just like any adult. Also interesting to note, this was back in 2008, people were still using he or she instead of they. Man, culture's changed fast. I think that was what they were teaching as proper. It's yeah. clunky though. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he does the thing about school, which you already mentioned. Should, short, sh- school should have shorter compulsory hours, a shorter compulsory school year, fewer required school years. Uh, the mandatory schooling should focus on the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, and citizenship. Interesting that he includes citizenship. I actually really like that addition. Yeah. Um, I mean, teaching you your rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, like, then you can take a test to see if you understand what that means and whether you have the maturity to do it. Uh, I wish that, like, I guess we have, like, civics classes, sort of, but we don't really have, like, a, unless you, you like, go into law. Um, or or government we don't learn very much about that or at least i didn't maybe i just had a bad curriculum but i was like yeah i don't know i went to what i think is a very good high school um like as far as public schools go and i had one elective civics course i think that was all that was Mm -hmm. available it's just something that isn't stressed enough oh yeah that was something uh i wanted to bring up at the school part but like the whole uh idea of school being sort of where we like put teens to train them to be office workers mm. <laughs> like th- there was definitely incentives there from the industrial revolution to just train a bunch of like robotic employees to do ma- manual labor or not manual labor desk labor he goes on to say that uh competent young people should be given full property li- rights and concedes that we do lose a degree of control over them but I think he thinks that's a feature, not a bug. In return, we get more responsible, secure, and independent young people. And he says that even if unemancipated, young people of any age who can demonstrate appropriate competencies should be able to make and revoke wills, sign contracts, file lawsuits, and represent themselves in court. After all, we automatically extend such rights to many older people who lack the appropriate skills and understanding sick burn. (laughs) Um, There was my my next-door neighbor... uh, when I was like living in New Jersey and growing up at my parents' house, the house next door um, was owned by this woman who, she was a divorced single mom and had a teenage daughter and, or maybe not divorced, the dad might have been dead, but anyway, um, I thought this was great. <laughs> the mom was kind of a bitch and uh, when the when the daughter turned 18, uh, she inherited the house and kicked her mom out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wow. And then I remember, like, uh, all the older people in the neighborhood were like, oh, there's, like, some teenager owning her house here. She's It's going to be, How like, dare she? she's going to crash. She's going to have wild parties. Actually, no, she was responsible for money. He also says that no curfew should be allowed in the country at all unless it's for everyone, excluding emergency personnel. Emancipated young people should be able to move about freely as adults. The wanderings of unemancipated young people will have to remain under parental control because parents of dependent offspring are held responsible for the wrongdoing. Again, another one of those incentives to pass these competency tests. Were there curfews for children? There are often in many places. Yes. Is that new? Because I mean, no, I, that's I, been around for ages. I guess I. I mean, I ran into cops. I had my my probably above average share of run-ins with the police when I was a kid, and I never had one say, "You're out too late. I'm calling your parents." Apparently, you, um, it's a problem with people that uh unschool their kids um if like they'll get ratted on by neighbors or or a cop will come up to them and be like hey you should be in school right now and they a lot of them like train their kids to kind of say oh yeah no i'm i'm homeschooled and and we're on recess right now hmm 
I think it's it's <laughs> also a lot of it is selective enforcement where you look, you know, rich and white, so we're not going to bother with you, but you look like a member of the underclass, so we're going to enforce the curfew on you. I can't rule that out. I mean, I, I was hassled, but, you know, uh, maybe Fort Collins in 2003 didn't have curfews. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um I do like this one. I don't want children, uh, them, he says, but I'm assuming he means youngsters, uh, to feign adulthood by drinking and smoking in dark alleys. I want them to be adults by drinking and smoking responsibly. To the extent that young people overindulge, I think there's only one legitimate solution, to integrate them into adult society. I will caveat, he doesn't say that adults don't overindulge. Um, (laughs) They're most, I mean, most alcoholics are probably old enough to buy their own alcohol, right? So I don't know if that's the solution, but that's... Part of the solution, maybe? I mean, uh, there's European countries that people always bring this up, mm-hmm. where if you normalize drinking, the kids grow up with, like, a much... Um, Healthier drinking habits? Yeah, like... Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. They are most vulnerable to mischief when they're uh, with their peers and less vulnerable when they're with adults. Yeah. He's arguing that their peers are incompetent, but, uh, <laughs> but, they're, yeah. they're in, but then they're not their peers. He means other people their age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, regarding pornography, I believe that young person who can pass an appropriate test of maturity, again, he, this is different than the competency test. This is a maturity test. I'm sure he talks about what that is somewhere in the book. Yeah. Um, that, that's one of the tests where I'm like, I wonder how you can judge competency here. Yeah. Ability to own pornography. I mean, if you can look at the booby, you can buy the booby. I, I don't even know how, like, if you go on like Pornhub, I think, or, or wherever, don't they usually just have a pop-up that's like, I, I swear I'm over 18. I, I've <laughs> like, been to can't. a number of sites where there isn't even a pop-up. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, like if, if you're looking for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess just not. Like an actual porn shop, I guess, could actually ID people at, like when they walk in. But like, that's, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be nice that if you've pa- passed the um, competency test, you can go in and buy your own sex toys. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about. Uh, violence with uh, young people, which is like, all right, well, when they're emancipated, it's just like hitting an hitting an adult. It's a crime. Yeah. Um. You know, there's, I there's some special carve outs for striking, uh, non competent children. Yeah. Um, he says that if you're emancipated, then it should be treated as a crime, just like if you hit an adult. Uh, parents have the right to strike unemancipated children the same as they do now. He does say, you know, they have a duty to show that corporal punishment was reasonable and appropriate. So it's not like you're abusing your children and that uh, you've tried other ways of behavior management. But yeah, basically, once you're emancipated, you can't get spanked anymore because uh, that's that's assault and battery. And yet another reason to maybe try to get that competency test done. Yeah, I kind of think that, especially in the last decade and a half, that, you know, things have moved past, like, the coolness of hitting your kids, mm-hmm. um, which I'm yeah. super in favor of. Mm-hmm. You know, I get that, like, Wait, you you're know, in favor of the fact that we're, that that's less popular okay. now than it was before. Yeah, Not I mean, in favor it, of hitting your kids. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I never liked the argument. Well, I was hit as a kid. And it's like, yeah. And that that's that and I turned out fine. Well, <laughs> and like, but that that never made any sense to me. Like, oh, well, I went through it. It's like, well, tough. Yeah, I'm sorry like that happened. Some people are more sensitive than others. Sort of the same thing with the like trauma. Uh, yeah. All of us have been put through this bullshit that we're talking about right now when we were kids. And yet I don't think that's an excuse to keep doing it. Right. Yeah, I never like incentive to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. He says young people of any age who can pass a test that shows they will be competent voters should be given the right to cast full votes in relevant elections, which people now don't have to do. Yeah. Well, first of all, people now don't have to do, but like 
you were saying this was a way to suppress voting among uh, minority populations for a long time. So I don't know if they have would to have to be develop a test that like is thoroughly reviewed and the I guess like experts in I don't know what field that would be. Um, social sciences. I guess social yeah. sciences can, can like say that this is like a test that's designed to be maximally non-racist. <laughs> I think society isn't the best place we've ever been to design such a test. Yeah. Also importantly, like I think you should be able to appeal any of these sorts of test decisions to an outside outside area because like what do you mean? Well, because a lot of the uh, say reading comprehension tests done in the South in the fifties, people passed them just fine. Like they were more literate than some of the white people they were taking the tests alongside, and yet uh, when their test was judged, it was marked as a failure because the person judging it could see this is a black person. I don't want them to vote. Sorry, you're not literate. Uh, so <laughs> this should be one of these things that like, if your test is marked as failed, you could potentially go to a different okay, area, a different judge and be like, Hey, can you look opinion. at this? Because yeah, uh, I think that he flunked it because I'm black and not because I'm not old enough, uh, not mature enough. Yeah. I like, I like, especially the caveat of going somewhere else. Like if you just took it to the same, whatever, uh, courthouse or something, then that same asshole will just <laughs> cut you down again. I'd really like to live in a country where young people were allowed to vote. Like it's irritating that just age is what drives a lot of our policies yeah because old people vote young people don't i mean like young people don't because they're not old enough to or the ones that are are apathetic Mm -hmm. and i sort of don't blame them Mm -hmm. it's getting again into the sort of the voting topic but i think this yeah just having a having a voting test a competency test for voting would i think across the board like make a lot of things better if you could make one that's non-racist um, and that would be an incentive for people to like, again, take the civics class. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. Just the, the empowerment. Yeah. It so, says when you say to young people, okay, you want to be adults, show us what you can do. Many will rise to the challenge. We will be tapping into one of the most basic of evolutionary imperatives, the desire to be independent. And as the number of young people who pass various tests or who achieve full emancipation multiplies, adults will have no choice, but to see young people through competency colored lenses. So he's very bullish on this thing working out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he, he makes a compelling case. You know, some of it he does, I, I need to dig into some of the science that he cites because, you know, you can't say this unequivocally proves my point and then not, and then if I don't get to read it, then I'm like, oh, I just have to take your word for it that your point is unequivocally proved. Yeah. But that aside, you know, I think this is this is a sane case. I I know we're, this is probably pushing one of our longer episodes, but I did have a couple quick rapid fire ones that I'll trim down for, for sake of... Uh, brevity yeah do it um you know like i don't know if the jury's still out on alcohol on on developing brains or not and i don't think a brain again unless some of his research that he found proves me otherwise but uh i do think that there's some you know we talked about uh the malleability and and sharpness acuity of of young brains as opposed to older brains Mm -hmm. um you know if, if say getting drunk damages that i i don't know if a young person understands what they're doing to themselves if they're getting drunk every night right yes well so two counterpoints um the first one being that uh like the rad park experiment showed when you give um an actual enriched environment to people they often just don't take the drugs because they have better things to do oh that reminds me of the rat experiment Uh uh-huh the rat utopia yeah that that i mean that's one of the reason people turns to drugs in prisons and in schools because they just need something to to make their lives not horrible as they're trying to get through these years of doing nothing and the rats that 
Have we talked about the um, Rat Utopia? I think before? so. Before should I like tell the yeah, listeners what summary. it is? Um, they got a bunch of rats addicted to cocaine. <laughs> was it cocaine? I think, I think it was morphine. Morphine, yeah. Like, um, but they could. Yeah. Th- anyway, they they had rats in a like shitty, boring environment, um, and they gave them access to drugs. And, and so they, they took the drugs, and they got addicted to the drugs. But even the ones that they had gotten addicted at that point, if if they put them in rat heaven, mm-hmm. <laughs> like which was like a a little playground with other rats to interact with and different types of food, just novelty choices, etc., mm-hmm. then the rats would unaddict themselves to the morphine. Not all of them. There was like some small percentage yeah. that just biologically were addicted, but almost all of them, yeah, just stopped taking the drugs when they had better things to do with their time. Yeah, like the drugs still have an, a bad effect, but it was like, it, it definitely improved the rats. Like, first of all, some of them, like if, if you just started them out in the uh, rat playground and gave them access to the drug, a lot of them just wouldn't even take it or they'd take it a few times, but it wouldn't stick. Yeah, The ones that like were heavily addicted at that point, then there's biological stuff going against. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So part of the counter argument is just that people won't be doing drugs or alcohol nearly as much when they can have meaningful, fulfilling lives and relationships. And the other counter argument is that like, as he said, half of um, seniors and juniors in high school are already drinking a lot. You're not actually helping the problem. And who knows, maybe you're making it worse. I, I don't know if the fact that people are already doing it means, well, let's just make it legal then. Um, I think it would be safer if it was legal. That's the case for every crime. Right. right? Well, I mean, that's also why we, um, well, I don't know about you, but I personally am for for drug legalization as well. Making, having a drug prohibition has not stopped people from taking drugs at any significant rate. And it has made things much, much worse overall. No, I mean, I'm not insane. I'm also in favor of, of drug legalization. I'm just wondering if it, if we, if it did turn out that, I don't know, insert drug cocaine turned out to be just radically more damaging to a to a young brain weed, than to an actually. Brain. weed might be an example there's an argument to be made for uh people should be over 21 i think to smoke weed or, or i forget if it was 21 or 18 but there is actually a uh, there's some evidence that it might be more harmful when your brain is still developing uh which is like I'm I'm actually getting a bit confused about that right now as I'm thinking about it because and I think Stephen you brought this up earlier. Um, I think one of the main things that like people were worried about with smoking weed before age 21 it was the whole like the brain's not developed yet, but that's not actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might just be that like the brain is in a more malleable state, so it could cause more harm. But like one of the things that you were saying could happen is if you have latent schizophrenia, it could activate it. But that could just be an artifact of like you were saying. Uh, but you tend to develop it around that age. Right. <laughs> the, the weed might not have anything to do with it. Also, if your brain is more malleable, that means it's also more able to um, yeah. recover. Yeah. Well, unless, you, unless you're using drugs throughout that entire period. Like, you know, I, I, I listened to, um, might have been somebody on one of Sam Harris's podcasts or somewhere, maybe Very Bad Wizards. Uh, she was concerned about the overprescription of like antidepressants. Hmm. You know, if you're on antidepressants from age 10 through 30, your brain never developed without without into adulthood without antidepressants. Right. And that, that could lead to, we don't know what kind of problems. Um, so, I mean, I guess I was, I was kind of just wondering, you know, if, if you could ever see an example where like, actually, no, it turns out that this is uniquely damaging to, to young people, to young minds. We should make a special case for this. I think awesome. if, yeah, if there you, was enough evidence, I'd be in support of that. Yeah. Okay. I just am, I, I, I'm actually questioning though, whether that's true. 
Me too. I, 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 it's not like I can point to something and say, what about this? I know this is for a fact. I'm just thinking hypothetically. Yeah. The, the other one was... Although, I don't know if I would be in favor of a straight out ban. I think, like, if there might be a competency, like, hey, I'm, you know, an informed uh, adult and I am choosing to do this and that should still be your choice. This actually ties me into the next thing really well, which is medical freedom. Like, mm. I'm a big fan of, of uh, especially now, uh, in, what is it, uh, May 31st, 2021, um, of compulsory medicine. <laughs> You're uh, in favor of compulsory medicine? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't like that the fact that half my neighbors aren't going to get a COVID vaccine. Ah, um, okay. You know, so like, I... it. I, don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of downsides with you know how this has gone horribly in the past, how this could go terribly wrong in the future. Saying. But in a, in a society that didn't suck, um, I think it, I think it would be great to to take that freedom away from people. I mean, and say, look, sorry, you don't get to decide that you get to drive ten miles over the speed limit and uh, with your eyes closed just because it's your personal freedom. There's yeah. already legal precedent for uh, compulsory vaccination. Like this was a thing that happened back in. God, I want to say the smallpox era, 36 or something. I don't remember exactly when it was, but... Uh, well, they, might, they make kids take, um, what is it, booster shots? Uh, yeah, no, but this, this was an adult who didn't want to uh, get vaccinated for this thing, and the state took him to court, and eventually the Supreme Court ruled, okay. uh, no, it doesn't matter what you want. This is of sufficient public interest that you will get this vaccine. I think the distinction is, I don't want to, I don't want any laws protecting people from themselves. Right. Uh but when you could harm others with your actions is, I think, when, when you need to, like... Which is why the Supreme Court came down on the state yeah. side in that point. Because, like, you can make a... If, you, if I make a personal choice that only affects me, um, you know... That, well, I don't know why I'm even explaining this. Yeah, nobody else would be harmed, so I should be able to make that choice. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard it's, to imagine what medical decision... Well, I can think of one, maybe, that... All right, so I've got... I, I was going to say it's hard to think of, like, a medical decision that just does affect you that I might have a contention with, but I can think of one that might get us canceled. So give me a second to oh finish boy. up my thing on, on the COVID vaccine. Like uh, I did see a thing where apparently a concert in Florida, uh, tickets are 18 bucks if you're vaccinated and they're a thousand dollars if you're not. Nice. <laughs> uh, now I don't know if this will do anything, you know, cause how do you prove you're vaccinated? You give them this fake, easily fakeable card. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff I'm, I'm kind of in favor of. Uh, I was at a mall yesterday to pass time before going to the movie and one of the stores said, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. And it's like, I'm not carrying my vaccination card. Hmm. This is a, I'm assuming, a trust basis thing, right? Uh, um, well, yeah. I mean, at Milk, they were literally checking people's uh, vaccine cards. So, you know, I laminated mine. I have it in my wallet. But on the other hand, they would let people in that weren't vaccinated yet if they stayed masked the whole time. But inside, there wasn't anyone going around to Nobody unmask people. It. Yeah, and you, so you, you didn't could, get a special wristband if you were vaccinated. No, yeah, you, they probably should have done that. But yeah, people just walked in, and if you weren't vaccinated, you could take off the mask, and there'd be no way to yeah to check. Yeah, see, it's just that sort of like inconsiderate response. You're being so inconsiderate to your neighbors or to your community by doing it that yeah. way. You should yeah. be prevented from harming others. I think that yeah. you should get to choose what happens to you. What if like a kid wants plastic sur- uh, you know plastic surgery and the, the extreme case would be oh no like, this uh tr- sorry be, uh, finish your thought uh, i was gonna say the extreme case would be like hormone replacement therapy to begin uh transitioning and, you know if they can pass yeah, a competency no, test something that i was going to bring up uh but i was like oh, that's gonna be too much of you know my soapbox or <laughs> no i mean i think that topic. is one of the major considerations that is important here Th- there, there's is- places where they block people from even getting a the hormone hormone blockers like, 
there, the there's an option yeah like there's a there's a puberty blocking option like uh and i think there's also an age limit there though does that have any downsides the puberty blockers yes i would have to imagine that it would it depends on how long you're on it for if you're delaying right. puberty for a, a long months. time there's like the possibility of complications but i think like what you really need to weigh there is like the damage that will be done if this if this is a trans woman and has to is forced to go through a male puberty because you know you have to be 18 to be able to make decisions about it or whatever mm-hmm. like by the time you're 18 it's there's, too late. there's already like stuff that's going to be expensive and to reverse or, or even impossible your bone plates fuse yeah yeah i and if you if we have these competency tests and you can show that you are mentally competent early earlier in your teenage years you could start getting on home and replacement or whatever earlier because you can make your own medical decisions yeah i guess and i only chose that just because it was a, a salient example but in general i'm thinking of just some sort of irreversible medical decision and yet yeah i mean i guess this that is the accepted cost i mean um, if you're if you're 15 and you have shown that you are competent and you want a boob job if you have the money for it people have brought up your body your choice like a counterpoint to i don't know um let trans people get surgeries they're like oh well should we let people who want to amputate limbs do that and i'm always like yes <laughs> it's their body yeah there, there is you some don't get ex- to ban something because you don't find it aesthetically pleasing there there's some extent there to where that is like a mental illness that can be treated without amputating the limb yes right but you should strongly encourage people to try to get treated rather than making their decisions for them right i just meant specifically the limb amputation because i do remember reading something about that a few years ago and yeah but like you can't we don't have a pill that fixes trans people so like the the only thing we have right now that works is transition right transition. oh yeah I, I was thinking specifically the limb thing like i i wouldn't want to be the doctor that has to cut off someone's arms because i know that whatever during transrejected therapy or something right mm-hmm. um there was the last thing with uh <laughs> i suppose that would be really fucked up a surgeon could probably like say this is against my conscience i won't participate in the surgery i'm a big fan of that freedom uh, you know abortion stuff is in the news i don't think anyone should be should be required to do any surgery they don't want to do mm-hmm. um you know and abortion's <laughs> a, a tough one because what about the thing where like people of a certain religion won't like provide so i was raised as jehovah's witness and oh, I yeah. was, yeah, I was often in church uh, given stories of these heroic young people who refused blood transfusions uh, or these uh, these adults who were willing and then did die because they wouldn't get a blood transfusion after a major accident or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and every now and then there were stories about the horrible Satan-directed courts that would force blood transfusions onto minors because even though the parents didn't want them to get it and the minors themselves didn't want to get it, the doctors would say, look, the parents are fucking stupid and the minor is not competent to make their own decision, so they are being forced to get blood transfusions. And, like, I'm glad that they that they were forced to get the transfusions and they're alive now. I had heard many stories of adults that died because they wouldn't get blood transfusions. But on the other hand, if you're a competent adult and you're willing to die for your religious belief and you're not actually killing others. I don't know. I guess I would want to ban it, but I, but principles like, I don't know. I I stand by my principles. I think that that would be really like sad. I I think that's really sad that people died. Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) I'm also on the, I'm also on the people should be allowed to kill themselves bandwagon. Uh, that, that 
suicide should be an option for people who want to do that. And this is kind of just like another case of that, right? No, I think this is importantly distinct. This is because you're brainwashed into believing magic about blood. This this is yeah. this is not because you're depressed. Yeah, like I was actually right? thinking, I wonder if could you do a competency test for that? Which is just like, do you believe in science-based medicine? That 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 <laughs> like, what's interesting is that that does strike me as importantly discriminatory. And this is getting us kind of too far afield, and we've been here too long. But um, I, I wouldn't. Though. I I while I would love that. Like, look, you have to be science literate to decide something like this. I almost. Don't want to make science literate and still have a crazy religious belief. Lots of people do. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. So you, I mean, they, some they, of the they, people they... that chose to die because they wouldn't have blood transfusions were literate, but you know, the courts were like, okay, you have you have this sincere religious belief, so even though you know it's going to kill you, you are allowed to make that decision as yeah. an adult. I, I'm in favor of of the courts and the hospitals overriding the wishes of the children and the stupid adults to give blood transfusions to to youngsters who needed them, right? Right. You know, and it sucks because that kid might think he's going to hell or something, right? Yeah. Which is stupid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the whole thing about it is stupid. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to let some kid die just because, you know, he's got dumb parents. No, I agree. Um, Minors can and should have that decision overrided. Uh, but once you are treated as an adult with your own rights, even if you're 15, if you've proven that you're competent to make decisions for your own life, the choice to die is one of those. <laughs> yeah. My, my last thought was, and it's not related to adulthood or competency or anything, but it was the puberty blocker thing. The reason that I knew without having to do research that it must have some side effects is because otherwise it sounds not like an immortality pill, mm. but like a, a longevity pill for sure, because you start aging a lot more once you're post-reproductive oh. age, right? Mm. So if you never hit that, because you keep put because you keep pushing it back for years. No, you can't <laughs> prolong your adolescence indefinitely with this. Like it just uh It's it's it it puts you from fifty good. miles an hour to thirty miles an hour or something, right? Um well it's more like you need hormones. Uh so estrogen and testosterone are important for how long can you delay it we don't know um we should find out uh, uh, it's hard to do it without doing experiments yeah with people. <laughs> yeah but like you, you need hormones in order to complete your development into an adult body and like and and, and be healthy <laughs> so you need to get one or the other but the other. adult bodies age into into decrepitude so if you never get there you can just stay young and 11 forever hell yeah yeah that would be awesome if it worked like that. I think it does not. I think um, it doesn't either. <laughs> they would have figured this out in rats or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, this was fun. I yes. I, I found the case compelling. Um, certainly for for large parts of it, I I would have to go back through. We have a lot of notes, way more than usual. Oh, there's um, a lot of things I didn't touch on. Yeah. One of the things here near the bottom was like uh, the enemies of this progress. A uh, lot of government agencies are just have power to to control teens and they won't want to give that up yeah there's incentives to churches out of the workforce yeah a lot of uh, churches have have incentives that yeah the labor unions and various other places have an incentive scheme out of the workforce we talked last time about the laws that give parents veto power over their kids sex lives yep there's a lot of um industries that cater specifically to the culture that develops when you have a captive population that can't do anything interesting, but that is still given money by their parents. Uh, and those would probably strongly oppose this. He lists a lot of teen spending numbers in here as well. Yeah, they market really high. Like it's sort of, it's it's weird that the teen culture is sort of a product of this marketing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it, it's sort of self-perpetuating in this creepy way. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, teens, you're these like m sad, mopey, depressed people, right? Like, you know what'll make you feel better? about your shitty situation N new pair of shoes <laughs> yeah 
I I will. I mean, on the one hand, I'll kind of miss a lot of the a lot of the art that comes out of this traumatizing period because trauma often makes the best art. <laughs> and and I was really into the angry, oh, there will always screaming be type. Yeah, there will always be trauma. That's true. And but like, I, it was. I do not think that this would make the world worse. I I think the world would be better by a lot. And sure, there'll be less art about this specific sort of trauma, but that's probably a good thing. Like maybe if we had um, enforced rape culture or something, there'd be a lot of art about how terrible and traumatic that is, but that wouldn't be good. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we don't want to invent new traumas to make better art. Exactly. But, yeah. So. <laughs> this was like the worst argument to try and like solve the Odyssey for me in my philosophy of religion class was like, oh yeah, you know, now we know about the wisdom that was gained during the horrors of the Holocaust. Yeah. I'm like that is not a sufficient. Uh, like benefit for the cost that we paid to get it. Yeah. And if anything, what you're saying is that if we could have, you know, if more children could learn the lesson of the horrors of it, we should have let it go on for 10 years longer. Right. What are you shitting me? She's like, well, I'm not saying that. Like, I think you are saying that. Tell me how you're not saying that. I remember this argument because I didn't, I, I was like the only person what making this case. This? this was in my like college uh, philosophy of religion class. Philosophy and, of religion? Yeah. Huh. And I, was the only person really making this argument, and I wasn't as uh, brazen then as I am now, <laughs> so I backed down fairly quickly. But I, I was, I, I, I still wish I had I'd challenged harder. I, it's not, you know, I wouldn't have gained anything, but maybe I would have changed someone's it's mind one of those or something. Things that if you had a time machine, you'd go like make a stronger argument, right? <laughs> Think of some moments. So, real quick, other resources: youthfacts.org gives a whole bunch of data and information, and the National Youth Rights Association at youthrights.org is a place to go to help support these sorts of changes and do activism in this domain. Hell yeah. And there's various other ones too, but that was like the the biggest central one that I found. So I'm just using that one. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the analogy to other minority groups pans out really well here. I remember this was an argument that I came across uh, in another philosophy class. It was um, about animal liberation, but it was uh, a quote from, I want to say, an abolitionist during the 1800s. And it was like, look, even if what you're saying is true, that, you know, my cup is only half as big as yours, am I not entitled to my little half measure? Mm-hmm. Um, and th- the case was like, sure, an animal has a tenth of the capacity, but why aren't they allowed to enjoy that 10% or whatever, right? Uh, this, if, if, you, if you look at the analogy to, um, again, women being able to work, you know, well, in, in mass in 1940, that's mm-hmm. insane. You know, it's easy for people to forget that that, like... It's not even you, that long ago. You, yeah, you know people who, who were alive. You may know people who were alive uh, draws, at that time. He draws direct comparison between laws protecting women and laws protecting teens, that women were considered weak, incompetent, feeble, and desperately in need of protection. Protecting is a good word there, because we know it doesn't work for, for women, and so we're like, yeah. wait, why doesn't it work for teens? And it, it forces <laughs> that dissonance, it forces you to face that dissonance. Yeah, and he says now, um, what is it, like 12% of the military is composed of women, 15% of law enforcement, and... Uh, turns out these opinions can change in society and these are stupid arguments <laughs> yeah i you know it's can a 15 year old carry as much uh you know gear as a as a 35 year old probably not no well, but if he can then you let him join well it's or a competency th- test. Th- they need to carry some some measure right you know some some portion of whatever they probably don't need as many resources either right if you're carrying water or whatever right yeah. um so it's like no just like yeah let them do the thing it, it makes, I, I think, um, like, firefighting is, like, my yeah. favorite example, because it's like, look, it doesn't matter uh, anything else, but can you can you lift this much weight? Can you can you deadlift a person? Mm-hmm. You know, well, there's that- also, yeah, with firefighting, like, 
I mean, I, I, I was an EMS, not fire, but I, I can't carry as much as the other people, but I can squeeze into a car and hold C-spine. Mm-hmm. And in firefighting that there, and war, it's useful to have someone with a small frame sometimes, Yeah, <laughs> you know, or like more dexterous fingers. You, you having a, I get why, like, I don't know there's the stereotype of like, you want like a big, strong man to fight the fires and but sometimes you stuff. don't but like it's sometimes no, you, you need you need some diversity yeah exactly <laughs> there's different jobs in and the different yeah. yeah having child soldiers gives you the opportunity to fit into lots of small places <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like actually thinking about child soldiers earlier but um, we're talking we're talking about young adult soldiers that's different yes. that's right all right. Um, yeah, so I, there's a lot of things we didn't touch on that are in my notes. I will go ahead and put them all up at HP, no, at thebasingconspiracy.com <laughs> uh, so that anyone can peruse them if they want. It turns out when I exported my notes to uh, to a more shareable portable format. format, yeah, uh, Kindle told me that I had highlighted 4% of the book. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's actually a pretty decent percentage of this book. So yeah, there's there's a number of notes in here. And like I said, there's still 96% that I didn't cover or that I didn't highlight. So more for people to read if they want to actually get the book, Teens 2.0. And you didn't read the second book either, which was called... The uh, Case Against Adolescence. That's right. And that one is the, yeah, more Are rigorous... Are you still planning on reading it? If I get the time, but I mean, there's another podcast episode in two weeks and I yeah. I don't have, I still got my nine to five job and all that other stuff. So I don't know. We'll have you be soon. Don't worry. Yes. <laughs> all right. I think we've gone on plenty long. I had a good time. I hope you guys did too. Uh, we got time to think of patron though. You've got the notes up. We always have time to think of patron, but I do not have the notes up now. Let me go find those. <laughs> hey, so for this episode, we are thanking Clement or Clement. I don't know. Our patron Clement helped provide this and make it possible to all of you, and we thank him very much for that, because you, our listeners, and Clement in specific this week, are what lets this happen. Yay. Yeah, you rock. I don't know what, I mean, it sounds insincere, because I sound tired, but I mean <laughs> it. This is this is great, and uh, thanks for helping bring this to, to the masses, including the young adults who are, have yet to be emancipated by society. Uh, you know, maybe this, uh, I mean, it would be interesting. I, I Maybe in 30 years, this will be a thing, and you know. I hope I, so. I, I, I don't know. It just put, put me in a forward-thinking mood. So thanks for letting this conversation happen. You rock. All right. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.